it's that time again. It's auto catch up and welcome to uh, the 6th of September, 2020. That's right. We're already in the ninth month of the year. I think some people describe it as as being the fastest but longest year they've ever experienced. And um, boy, um, yeah, I don't know where the time is going. But this week, we've got a ton of news to talk about. Huge things in motorsport this week. And um, even more, some interesting things happening along the lines locally here as well as overseas and uh to to talk about that with me this week uh we've got joel strickland back again at joel strick ah, let's start that again at joel strick photo and uh how you going joel good ash um, not the best week for us down here in Melbourne because we're going to see another uh, few weeks of lockdown, unfortunately. Um, so, but you know, the numbers are dropping, so that's all we really care about. Um, yeah. And it's been consistently dropping. And in the last month, we've dropped from over sort of seven hundred down to um, into the fifties to sixty seventies. So, um, you know, that's a positive sign. But yeah, for a lot of people down here, it's uh, pretty frustrating and uh, being locked up but um i've got another long list of things i need to want to tick off this week and um yeah you know it's been good like you know there's lots happening in the in the news um world um so there's lots to keep us entertained um in terms of what's happening so you know i've sort of been spending a bit more time on the on the socials talking to a few journo mates overseas about different things and and stuff like that and and just general conversations so uh, i suppose that's one sort of plus side is that um being able to connect a bit more with people is really good and and um yeah that's sort of made things a bit easier but good that we've got some motorsport you know supercars racing uh this weekend as well as f1 has been Mm -hmm. uh it's obviously been great for those of us that um are stuck in stuck in lockdown um and yeah so that's uh, made things just a little bit more bearable in that respect so what have you been driving this week Ash? Oh yeah look so I've been in between a couple of things so our second week with the i30N fastback has continued so that's um, it, it's always nice spending a little bit longer than just a, a single week in, in a car um, you, you kind of start to learn you know some of the things that you have through the honeymoon period that kind of wear off you get to have a little bit more of an extended look at you know what that day-to-day living with it really looks like Um, allows you to come back and rethink about things or you may something you may just you may have tried or found or whatever and you suddenly think oh maybe i'll just see what that's like on a Mm. on another bit of road or will it do it again or will i notice it again and so yeah you get to re reaffirm what you what you think um and see what it's like Absolutely, and um, and so it's been a good second week with um, with the fastback. I uh, always still love hitting that end mode button, and um, <laughs> you know, hearing the feedback that you get. It it it, it that never gets old. Um, but I've kind of been a little bit uh, spoiled in terms of so I've been driving the Subaru um, uh, Impreza this week, and um, I've had a a really it, it just reminded me of how good of a set of models that Subaru make. Um, so it's whether it was the the Forester or even um, I'm I'm hoping it continues with the XV Hybrid next week. Yeah, I um, think you, but I think you'll be surprised. It's a it's yeah, a good package that thing. They're just really 
comfortable cars to drive the the suspension is well tuned the the amount of power that's in those vehicles even just the two liter um is is more than adequate for day-to-day driving like it's not a um it's certainly not like the 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 sti wrx or anything like that where you know you you feel like you could have a lot of fun in that um but in terms of a very practical day-to-day car um the the impreza does a great job even in the hatch form um and so this was the s variant which is a slightly more premium uh version so it's got the leather seat um it doesn't have the facial recognition um software safety system but it does have a lot of the other safety systems that i was talking about within you know that came from the from the forester um last time so it was um yeah i've it's one of those cars which you feel uh, sad to, to be handing back just because it, it just does a good job of being a, a daily vehicle that gets you from, from point A to point B. It doesn't really well, feel like well you're compromising on a lot. Yeah, so it's... And, and that's where I think... Um, like Once you start driving one, it, it's, you always start to see a lot more vehicles out on the road um, of that particular model. But... I, I've started to, to really realize that, like, even I've got a few people that I know that do drive Subarus, and I've just never really taken a lot of, um, you know, a lot of notice of them, if uh, if you know what I mean. Like, it's just that they're a car that exists, but once you start to focus on it, you go, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And they're a unique styling as well, that they're different. They are a lot different to what else is kind of out there, particularly the hatch um, yep. is a little bit different to some of the mainstream because just that those more curved lines and, and whatever else yeah. um, of it. But, um, yeah, it must be nice having that, that higher spec as well. Does yours have the sunroof as well? It does, yeah. yeah. So the price range for for the, the Impreza is from 26000 to about 35000 Um and so yeah, it's the two liter IS all drive, um, which sits like right at the top of that that range. But even at thirty five thousand dollars, you go, gee, that's that's pretty good value. Um, sure, it doesn't have a hybrid, so even if you do cross shop it to like a Corolla or anything like that. Um, but you do get the benefit of all-wheel drive, um, which, particularly if you're in the southern states, really starts to become a little bit more important if you do want to um, head to the coast or go to the mountains um, during winter. That That is handy. Um, but the, the thing that I really enjoyed is the size of uh, that rear space you get for the, for the second row. Um, the rear passengers... I could sit behind myself and still have, you know, a good two or three inches of, of legroom. Legroom, yeah. And for a car that size, that is huge. Um, normally, like even in the i30N, um, the seats are a little bit higher, so you do lose out on that that, that sloping um, roof in the back. But even just in knee space, I have no, no room in the back. So I can't really comfortably... Like, it, it's possible, but I can't comfortably sit behind you know, myself as a six foot one person um, in the back of the i30. But in the Impreza, it was just 
yeah, he got a ton of room. Um, the That's funny gotta... because the hatch is slightly smaller than the mm. sedan for sort of cargo space inside. So yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, the design of it changes for the with the for the hatch compared to um, the way the sedan is is designed because it's three forty five for cargo volume in the yeah. hatch and four sixty mm. in the sedan, but goes to seven ninety five when you go when you fold seats down. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but the only thing I would have liked to have a little bit more of um, that boot space. And but saying that, I think that is a that's coming from um, a slightly unfair comparison to the i thirty n, where it is in that fastback. It is huge. Mm. So um, we picked up some mulch uh, over the last weekend, and um, we were able to fit eight 20 liter bags of mulch in the wow. boot with no trouble like that's uh. not putting the seats down that's just basically and that was basically up to just over the the lip of um the you know the boot itself yeah, so it's that longer it's length even, we, we could have fit more hatch. easily um yeah so you obviously you do you don't get a spare or anything like that but if you just want to move stuff, and we talked about it last week on, on last week's podcast, the amount of room that you get and and how that really, you know, you could fit another set of tires in there, no problem. Mm. Um, but from a practicality point of view, it is awesome having that amount of um, space in the back of, even if, if you're going, you know, on a long drive or you want going on a picnic and you want to throw an esky in, you know, it just fits seamlessly in the back with no troubles at all. At all. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked the um, the way the the Impreza sat on the highway. It cruised extremely well. Um, the adaptive cruise con- cruise control works well. Um, I do like it, and you do have to change your behavior because it is kind of the opposite to all of the other adaptive cruise control systems with this. It goes into five, every time you touch the adjustment, it goes up in five kilometer increments. Um, And if you hold, press and hold the button, it then does it by one kilometer increments compared to other cars where, you know, if you press and hold, it will go up, you know, five or 10 kilometers at a time. Um, But, you know, all the safety stuff worked great. Um, as you would expect. And, um, yeah, so I really liked it. I'd love to spend some more time in it. The fuel economy is pretty good. I think it's about that seven-liter mark. Um, We've done about just under 800 kilometers uh, this week um, in that car alone. So, yeah, great job. Good pricing. Um, It does have your CarPlay and Android Auto as well. Um, And obviously, that yeah, the, you know, what... Subaru are known for is that symmetrical all-wheel drive and um, yeah that's it's what they're known for and um, yeah I think it's I think it's particularly for the price and if you start to compare it to the cost of it like even if you cross shop to a Yaris it starts to look like pretty good value <laughs> um, let alone you know something like the Corolla which you know kind of fits in um, in in away into that same space. But um, the fact is that it's all-wheel drive as well, like you said. Absolutely. For, the, for those yeah. that are in... Well, not even that. I mean, you get some Well, you pretty... don't need to go to an SUV. No. And I think that's, you know, this... And Subaru still do a great job, even though they do have, you know, the Forester and the XV. You know, they are building more um, smaller SUVs for, you know, to cater to market demand. Mm. But it's, um, you know, it's just great that they still have these great passenger vehicles 
available um, at great prices. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I see plenty on the road and um, we've got some VFACs to go through as well. And so we can sort of have a look at that as well and touch on. I'd be curious to see, well, how many are they selling versus, you know, what I feel like I'm seeing on the road. Yeah. Because it is, it, it is a what feels like to me anyway, a fairly aggressive price point compared mm. to what we usually drive in that price point. Yeah, and the fact that it's uh, that there's a variety of them as well. You can buy it in sedan and hatch. You, can, you know, mm-hmm. they start at sort of twenty six grand and go through to thirty five. Um, you know, it, there's a, there's it's a pretty you know for what the options there are, um, it's a pretty still pretty and that tight is, area. And that pricing where I'm mentioning is the recommended drive away pricing. So it's mm. not the list price or anything like that. So if you jump on the Subaru website and punch in your um, your postcode, you'll get like the pricing might change um, a little bit just because of the different taxes and things like that. But the prices that we're kind of mentioning are the recommended driveway pricing, which is handy because so don't think that you need to add another four or five thousand dollars on top. You yeah. shouldn't kind of have to. This should be pretty close or even. Yeah, for me, um, it doesn't change a lot in Victoria. It's still in yep. the same ballpark. So um, yeah. And it is a five-year unlimited kilometer warranty, five-year cap price servicing. Um, so it's not as good as some of the other, like Kia and Hyundai with the seven-year, but five-year unlimited Ks is still um, certainly better than um, what we've had in the past, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, look, um, let's jump on. We're going to change it up a little bit uh, this week. We're going to dive into some motorsport news um, right off the bat because I think uh, it's been a fairly big week for for motorsport, and um, we'd love to see you know hear your feedback as well if you prefer us to talk th- you know talk about the motorsport news um, up first and then diving to local. Um, if you do, you can always send us a message uh, at shows at dailyautofix.com and um, we'd love to also answer any questions you might have. Uh, more than happy to whether it's request uh, of what vehicle should you be buying um questions about technology in cars we know that um that's been something that uh we we have had some rumblings around sort of decoding what all these abbreviations are um these days and what do they um what do they mean to you as a as a consumer um but yeah, so so send us an email or you know send us an, a message via our social channels. That's uh, that's perfectly fine um, at Daily Autofix. But uh, Joel, there's a there's a new Senna series coming from Netflix. So yeah, it's, it, was, it was announced during the week that um, Netflix is working. Uh, with the family of of Ayrton to produce an eight-episode fictional miniseries, so it may not be 100% true to fact. So those that, um, you know, (laughs) know the history and know uh, are massive fans of Senna may just take it with a grain of salt. Um, But, yeah, it's going to basically explore Senna's personality and family relationships. Uh, The starting point will be Ayrton's career debut. He moved to England uh, and will culminate in the tragic accidents in Imola, Italy during the San Marino Grand Prix. So it's good that they're going to cover a fairly broad range of it. I think mm-hmm. it's cool that they're going to talk about his family because family was very, very important to, to, to Senna um, and particularly how close he was to, you know, his sister and um, and that and that part of the family. Um, having watched, I've got an old Senna doc, documentary from years ago um, prior to the actual Senna movie um, that, that came out. It was very interesting. There's a lot of stuff in there where he was interviewed and... and um, um, 
uh, talked about, and there's some footage of him in Brazil with the family in, in the weeks leading up to that tragic, um, his tragic mm-hmm. passing. So, um, you know, if they're going to cover some of this sort of stuff, it's going to be quite good. Um, it's going to be shot in England. Um, uh, sorry, it will be shot um, throughout, obviously, England, but obviously the F1 and then probably part of Brazil. Um, but it will be shot in, in English and Brazilian Portuguese, um, which is quite interesting um, in terms of obviously I think it'll be very, fairly popular in his home country mm-hmm. um, and it's to launch in 2022. So, um, yeah, that's pretty exciting to look forward to. So they're casting. So this is going to be fully cast um, production. It's not like using... Uh, historical footage or anything like that is that kind of so it's a and and they're sort of telling you know a a romanticized story is that because that's what they're saying when i read the press release i was like it it says fiction and i had to sort of re-look up because i'm just like one of the many people who go fiction is that mean it's true or false or non because non-fiction i go that doesn't sound like it's meant to be true you know um so when they said that i'm like oh so what is this trying to achieve and i think um, it's probably a great move to get people who who are either new to Formula One or um, you I know, think it's building on the Drive to Survive it. series as well. Yeah, exactly. They're, so they're it's like you've got a lot of these historical of figures. Yeah. So and and obviously Netflix doesn't own any other stuff around it. So this is their way of building it out. And I find it interesting that they're going down the fiction route rather than the non-fiction and, and make it more of a documentary. Um, but yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. I'm sure it's going to get a lot of attention as it gets closer. And if they are going with a full cast um, rather than using, you know, historical stuff, um, who they cast as center as well. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be very interesting to watch that casting and, and to see um, who it is that they pick. And, and like anything, obviously like what we did, we went through with Ford versus Ferrari, seeing mm-hmm. who they picked to play those roles. I mean, they were... in Rush as well with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, exactly. And, um, um, yeah. You know, people... Who's going to play Vivian, who was Ayrton's sister? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are they going to go people that look like him, look like those people in particular, or are they going to go with, people, you know, known actors... So they can build off that. Mm. Um, you know, Netflix with what they do with their movies, there are, you know, some big names. If you look at the current um, stuff of Netflix series, there yeah. there have been some big names in, in stuff that they've, they've used. So it, it's interesting to see what they'll do. We'll follow it pretty closely, I think, and uh, look forward to seeing it. And particularly when we start seeing, I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to go down the rush route of, you know, finding these cars that are all going and building replicas? Now, we, we know Netflix is yeah. not always short of cash, but, you know, are they going to spend a lot of money? Or, like you said, are they going to go down and pull archival footage out to then use for the driving stuff which means they don't have to spend the money and and that means it's more accurate in that respect Mm -hmm. but still you know for static stuff we're going to still need to see some some cool cars you know and and if it's going to 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 age you know are we going to see a young center um 
and are they going to they age him up? Uh, yeah, there's lots of lots of questions. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. The picture that they've used with the story we're quoting the Variety article at the moment is a very very young centre image. Uh, basically, mm. when he when he probably first started racing in England, um, I reckon it's probably even his passport photo. <laughs> it looks very yeah. very yeah. similar to it. Um, right. So yeah, it's it's intriguing. But yeah, looking forward to 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 watching closely to see what happens with that um mm-hmm. and yeah and you know from from talking about Ayrton we talk about the last team that he drove for and and Williams uh who we've spoken about recently who have sold the 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 business the the family is effectively walking away after this after well effectively now we're recording Sunday night um after tonight's Grand Prix um yeah yeah so it's um the the Williams team got sold, um, as we, you know, sort of touched on last week, and, and it has certainly made the made the rounds. And um, even though the investment firm who who ended up purchasing the Williams team have expressed that they would have liked uh, uh, Claire um, as well as Sir Frank um, to to stay around, um, that I think. Uh, I think it's probably the best time to, to go, hey, look, let's let's step away and let's have some time as a family because Formula 1 is extremely demanding um, as, a, as a sport, particularly if you are an owner and a, and a you know, principal of the team. Um, and I think it's probably, uh, particularly with uh, Claire's father, um, Frank, it'd be a, a great time to spend some more time with them and, uh, I guess, give, give Williams a fresh slate to, to start with. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's fairly monumental. They were the last privateer team, um, or family owned, uh, and and part of that um, owner driver history. And um, but hopefully this will lead to um, more financial boosts that come in to allow in, in that investment to allow the team to to gear up for 2022 with the new regulations i think that the purchase was um if it was going to happen now is the perfect time for that to happen um allowing the team to get themselves reorganized and, and ready to take on those new regulations because obviously i think for williams it's going to be another tough year next year uh, for 2021 um, with the regulations basically staying mostly the same to this year and um but yeah i thought the 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 interview or the, the speech that um claire gave via social media was was quite nice and um, I know that people love to to bring up oh you know she said at one point over a dead body that um, they'll sell the team but as always you know things change um, and I think you can't, you know, if we held everybody to 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 their word of what they've said in an interview about something which you could never possibly really know about, um, the world would be a pretty sad place. Um, particularly if we did that to politicians, that would be an interesting um, turn of events if we held politicians to everything which they said. Um, yeah, it's it's look, it's sad. It's really sad to see the Williams era come to an end um you know they they will be changing you know the family will walk away as of sort of effectively monday morning uh but they're saying they they will stay around for a transition at least uh but they're saying that uh the takeover of um the sort of managing director possibly you know, who will basically to the day-to-day running will be Simon Butts uh, who recently joined as as the managing director um, but they've also announced that Dollarton 
uh, Capital, who are the, the owners, their board's been announced in terms of who will be running it. But what makes me think is, um, including one of them, um, James Matthews, who's CEO mm-hmm. of the Eden Rock Group, um, which is an investment advisory firm. He's a former racing driver with British Formula Renault um, history. Uh, used to drive for Manor. Um, so, yeah. yeah so and, he- and there is a slight um, royal connection through uh, his wife, Pippa Middleton, who is Kate Middleton's sister, future. Um, she, she, she'll be queen, won't she? Once uh William Tate. I think so. Yeah. um, She becomes queen. So, yeah, so there is a, a kind of a cool family connection to the royal family, I guess, at least for a British racing team, even though it's American. Owned. But the question um, is, will they do a, a racing point and will the name change to... I think it won't be immediate because the talk is and everything that I've seen says that part of the, the sale agreement was that the that the name, excuse me, that the name would remain. Um, and so they'll remain to be called Williams. But obviously that they can't hold that for forever. Um, so who knows down the line, I think it will come down to if they perform um, well enough and if there's enough equity in that name. And I think it's probably one of the, the, the teams that will, that could possibly survive in name only. Yeah, it'll be um, interesting to see. Fingers crossed what, anyway. There's yeah, a lot of history connected yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly there is. And I hope that they uh, they keep it for a while. But um, who knows what will happen mm. down the track. Mm. But in terms of uh, talking about name switching, um, literally as we just before we started recording uh, tonight, uh, the press releases came out and said that Renault will be no more. Um, and uh, but not they'll still exist as a team, but they're they're rebranding to um, Alpine or uh, Alpine, depending on where you're from and how you want to pronounce it. Um, from 2021, so that's their premium sports car brand that they only currently make the the 110, their sports coupe, but they've got high a lot of aspirations to um, widen that portfolio. And I guess Formula One is the perfect uh, perfect way to do that. There is a lot of history between um, for that for that brand um, in motorsport, and uh, and I like the color scheme in those in a, in the teased images so far. Yeah, I do like that livery too. That's um, it looks really really nice. Had a conversation with a couple of mates before we went on air tonight about it. Um, there was a, a story that I'd read earlier in the week that I'd sent to a couple of guys that were were rumours that they may be looking at it, and uh, you know there was talk which brand would they use. You know, I mean, mm. could they have gone Dacia? You know, Dacia. Um, yeah. That would have been interesting. And um, as one of my friends joked, uh, he said that uh, maybe James May could be their test driver. Um, I said he'd be better an ambassador for the Dacia role. But, you know, the Alpine makes sense. It's a brand they want to grow. and it is part of that stable, so it would makes it makes sense. It's it, you know Alpine is has a history with motorsport uh, and uh, an association with with Renault, and you know there's the the great um, which is more road racing, and obviously like Targa Florio and things like that with with Alpine and, and things like that. So it, it's cool. I think the it's a shame that we won't see the red and the red and the black anymore um they have been a nice color combo for Renault this year it's been easy to see them um I hope that they make change it up and make it a really nice 
bright livery. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't really need a, an, another blue car that looks anything like Red Bull. Um, but hopefully, if it's if it's nice and bright, um, I was watching some classic racing footage that a couple of former one mates uh, shared during the week, and it was um, twenty years ago. So it was Monza twenty years ago, and um, you know the Benetton back then with that paint scheme and and things like that, um, and even the I think it was the arrow, uh, not the arrows, the uh, Sauber. Um, and something else around that time used to run a really nice um, blue livery as well. Um, so, yeah, looking at this picture um, as part of the announcement, that Alpine blue, like the, the, the current Alpine model, would look great on track. Um, it's one of those colours that would really stand out and it would be nice to, to, to see it um, return um, to, to the track. But, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what it is. Um, you know, we'll get to see Fernando in, in blue next year um, as part of that. Just with a slightly different name, but yeah. green and blue again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, it's exciting. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, we look forward to seeing the car released. Uh, probably, you know, we'll probably see some pictures early next year before mm-hmm. uh, when it when it's released, and they hopefully go testing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's uh, even with the the paused uh, regulations for now. I think uh, the name changes and some of the the new liveries will we we'll, we will be seeing um, because of it um, will bring a bit of excitement at least uh, next year. I'm hoping we'll. Um, have uh, like some of those British racing greens or even like the, you know, those colors that the Jaguar Formula One team had um, for Aston Martin. Um, I think that would be really cool to see once again. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I've got, I've got high hopes for uh, at least the, the cars next year and what they look like. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of the racing. Um, but it looks like uh, Ford, we're going to slightly different um, different form of uh, racing, but the all-electric Mustang Cobra Jet? The, yeah, so is this is something that been, Ford's been developing for a while. It's funny, though. We referenced it when we talked about the, um, the Marquee. So mm. Ford had already started on the electrification... Um, Road with creating this marquee, so it was it was released um, a while back, but it had its first effective public debut at the NHRA US Nationals um, mm-hmm. over the weekend. Um, and it did a quarter mile in 8.27 seconds at 168 mile an hour, reaching peak horsepower of 1,500. So it's pretty pretty impressive. And and the Cobra Jet has always been the sort of drag version of the Mustang. And so when Ford announced they're going to do an electric version, um, those of us that uh, you know are, are very impressed or very uh, are, are fans of electrification and, and particularly race cars. I mean, it, this reminds me of the Top Gear America episode a while years ago where they all drove some form of electric car down the drag strip and uh, that was quite entertaining but the photos that accompany this release from Ford it's doing a serious wheel stand uh, off the line which you would kind of expect from a drag car but um, definitely needs that wheelie stand (laughs) oh yeah definitely very much so Um, 
But yeah, it's it's an impressive thing. You know, there's four four motors that this thing has up to ten thousand revolutions per minute. Uh, runs mm. at eight hundred volts, <laughs> so it's a maximum output of like three hundred and fifty kilowatts per motor, yeah. uh, which is just mind blowing in terms of it. So um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool to see them effectively be able to take it to the truck uh, and and you know literally give it a, give it a run, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Um, you know, it's it's exciting exciting to watch and um, yeah I'm, I think, I'm I think it's Ford what... really flexing their muscles that they know how to build electric motors yeah um, I think this is you know a great a great way for them to show that yeah mm. Uh, this is a, obviously not a typical use case that you see no. uh, for an electric car, but it, I think it's it's going to show, at least for the Mackie as well, yeah. that people still question: Is it part? Of, you know, is that a true Mustang? They're going, hey, look, you know, we do know how to build a performance. Um, it doesn't really matter whether whether you think it's not a true Mustang. It's a Mustang shape. It's the body style. What's under the bonnet? You've got to remember that back in the days of the Fox body, they used to run a turbocharged four-cylinder. You know, yeah. they've run V6s. They run a, a, a turbocharged four-cylinder. Now they run V8s. Um, it, it, the, the, engine, the horsepower doesn't matter on a Mustang or the, or the, the engine type. It's the ability that it has. It imp- that it um, yeah. embodies the Mustang brand and name. And this does let's because not forget it's a that race Ford, have, Ford have released some god-awful-looking Mustangs as well in the past, and at least the Mach-E. And even this um, this Cobra Jet looks sensational. So, yeah. You'll have to make um, sure you share the uh, the YouTube video as part of the launch. Yeah, uh, it will know, be. Because the, the footage of it spinning... And I, I'm a massive fan of that the electric noise now. I, I, I have raved about the... the the marquee that they built um, and the noise that came out of that. But this mm. thing just sounds unbelievable. When you get a, an electric car wound up with the motors and everything, the noise that comes out of it is just unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it, it, it's just no way to describe it. So, you know, I hope the more of this, I've yet to watch um, and it's on my list of things to do is to check out, obviously the, the electric world rally cross car that they have now. There was a, mm. Video mm-hmm. that, that Ken Block released yeah. during the week, which he is him driving the the um, electric Ford um, version uh, rallycross car, and it's been on my my thing of <laughs> things to watch. But uh, I can't wait to check that out because I can imagine from the original footage that I saw when they were first testing that concept, it sounded and looked amazing. Um, I'm trying to remember, um, I'm pretty sure. I don't want, don't want to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that um, the, a previous world um, world rally driver actually got to drive it, um, and yeah, his feedback was pretty amazing. So yeah, this mm. this electric concept, and we've also got this off road series that's coming um, release starting next year, which is uh, more and more teams are becoming involved. Uh, with with that, so it, it, this whole electric motorsport thing is, you know, formerly the the first to kind of really run it, um, and then there's also the the Jag um, I Pay series as well. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's... I was going to mention that because the I, I was a bit skeptical about those um, about those cars, and then when I started to see some, I think it was Oliver Oliver Webb shared some on his Instagram of the the vehicle he was driving one of the weekends, and when I saw it, I'm like, wow, it's basically a think of pro, uh, Project Eight yeah. styling. But just on a on an iPace, and it looked un, in, unreal. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about Pike's Peak. Um, so, what was the the results from that? It seems so like yeah, I'm, I'm looking we, at the results and interesting mix of cars at the top. Yeah, we were talking about it last week, and I was going to. I started watching it. It was due to start around the same time as um, the Formula One last weekend. So yeah. I watched the the race last weekend. Had the stream of Pikes Peak running, and um, turned it on, and there was a bit of a delay. There was over an inch of ice at the top of the track because um, oh, wow. they ran it later in the year. It was colder than it was traditionally, mm-hmm. so they actually had ice. So they had to wait. Um, I spoke to another friend. I. I um, I gave up because nothing. It wasn't there. Didn't we didn't know how long it was going to be? And I, I yeah. was getting back up early to watch a, another form of sports and basketball the next morning early. Uh, so I got up to to watch that and jumped on and spoke to a, a mate who had been up and watching it. And he said it took them four hours to to effectively clear the track to to be able wow. to to run because of just to to clear the ice. So um, it yeah, there was some interesting classes to run the the winner of the event was an open wheel car so clint i'm going to try not to butcher this vas vahalosh um dave oliver if you're listening i'm sure you'll help me correct me with uh with that pronunciation because Schultz, maybe Schultz, yes yeah Uh, who is interesting guy if you jump onto the pikes peak website there's a really interesting story uh about him and what he's raced in he raced he's raced in bikes and he raced in um uh sort of um super saloon style attack on the on the mountain and then he went and did um, something else for another year, and then he went back. So he runs a 2013 Ford Open um, Open Wheeler concept style car, mm-hmm. um, and he did it. Uh, finished it in a 935.490. Now, to give you reference, the overall record for Pikes Peak is Roman Dumas in the 2018 Volkswagen IDR Pikes Peak, and it's 757. So that's an electric mm. car, um, and unlimited and he's a 757 where um, Clint in this uh, petrol powered uh, open wheeler is a 935 now years ago we a 935 was quick and that was actually the race record for a long period of time um, when um uh, Sebastian Loeb broke, broke the record a few years ago. His time was in those mid nines. Um, mm-hmm. So if you look did at the, the other, did the colder weather in, make the apart from obviously the road temperature and the tire temperature and that kind of thing? But did it? Um, did it? Do you think it affected times a lot? I think it might have because I think I know that the top of the mountain, the particularly during the week when those Teslas had those the crashes, they yeah. were affected by the ice and stuff okay. like that. Um, but you know, it, it's it, it's one of those things. So the we talked about the Jeff Zwart in that Porsche nine three five. He finished fifth with a nine forty three. Paul Paul was second, and again another open wheeler with a nine thirty six. Um, Paul David Donner in Time Attack class. In a Porsche GT2 RS was 9:36. So even then, at that top end of the class, the times were pretty close. Cole yeah. Powelson, another open wheeler. But, 
in a 2020 Sierra Alpha was a 937. Yeah. So it's pretty- it's interesting when you look at the breakdown though of the uh, the different. Uh, split so mm. there's four splits and um, that Porsche 935 was way off the pace on the front on the first split um, everybody else is around that 139 to 142 in the top um, vehicles there's even some others that were down to 140 um, below him but what uh, that 935 did obviously either the driver um, Schwartz had a, a bit more knowledge at the top or, or not, but he, he smashed it in terms of the fastest uh, um, in, in the fourth split, um, even though he was quite off the pace in others, um, at a 248. It was more than a one point, more than a second faster than, uh, than Clint in first place. So it's just interesting to see the, how the different vehicles and obviously the drivers and their familiarity with the different splits um, really shows and where, you know, those times are really made up or not um, so yeah it's a, but it's a huge interesting mix of cars there's yeah. even you know in um, in ninth uh, in the unlimited division you've got a, a 2013 Toyota 86 um, yeah that was an impressive it, so that's in the unlimited division which is one of the virtually as the name suggests it's unlimited it's yeah. sort of no holes barred so the Yoshi, Yoshihara is a is a pr- very well experienced driver. I actually caught that run. Um, he basically was the fastest in obviously in that class. But that was an impressive thing to watch. It was super quick uh, yeah. going up the up the mountain. Um, it was basically full of wings and bodywork and everything else. So mm. um, so he was going after effectively Roman Damas's time of seven fifty seven, um, which is the cut record in unlimited. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was a quick looking, quicking run, but even then, you know, yeah. still not quick enough to, to to knock off that that previous time. But um, and probably the biggest surprise for me, anyway, is seeing uh, in eleventh place the uh, a, a Dodge Challenger Hellcat. Yeah, red eye <laughs> wide body as well. Yeah. So a lot of people say that uh, muscle cars don't want to go around corners. Well, somebody found one, or at least found a way yeah. to make it go around corners quickly. But uh, good to see our Aussie mate. Blake Bilko Williams did well. He finished in 16th overall, but mm-hmm. first in class uh, in the in the Porsche Pikes Peak Trophy by Yokohama um, in his um, Porsche GT4 Club Sport. So he did a 10:52. So you know, over a minute uh, and a bit. Uh, slower than the top one and that was sort of 16th position but yeah it was interesting I mean they were limited this year on tours by um, you know by numbers and whatever else but they reckon that the other quick time that the, the David Donahue was in time attack in his Porsche GD2 RS he was on target for a good time but then had mm-hmm. a problem um, halfway up the mountain so it's a, it's a shame to see that um, he, he couldn't finish uh, but but yeah, it would have been interesting to see what um, what he could have done. So yeah, we look forward to. There was a bit of talk during the week amongst, um, as I said, against amongst other journey mates that were surprised that um, there wasn't uh, someone like a Ford, for example, or another brand yeah. hadn't decided to. Um, to, to really take it on the mountain um, and do something like VW had done. And we'd like to see maybe that Ford might do it at some stage with um, the Marquis. I see Ford doing it yeah. next year with the vehicles that they've 
that they're making, um, you know, particularly those electric prototypes. But I think 2020 is just one of those funny years where um, I'm sure that even a couple of manufacturers had plans, but because mm. of the shutdowns um, or even needing to, you know, get to you know, be able to come from overseas or whatever, mm. um, you know, just create certain challenges. Uh, it's not for, a not a cheap for, exercise. And so no. in terms of team numbers and everything else, and then obviously with COVID hitting, you know, you're having to reduce your numbers and, and your social distancing and being able to keep everyone safe. So, you know, like a lot of said, maybe not this year, but hopefully next year um, we might get to see, you know, someone do that and, and, take on the mountain and take on Roman's time because you know yeah Peugeot did it to, to beat the record in a in effectively mm-hmm. the the last sort of record in a petrol based car and then yeah. um, Volkswagen came out with the you know the IDR and they you know Monster Tajima was trying in his car but you know you don't have the money of a of a manufacturer behind you then you look at VW came and achieved so yeah it's it's pretty cool I mean we all hope that maybe Porsche might try it with the um, 918 uh, or 919 the X the X race car that you to do Lamar, um, yeah. but that that didn't happen. They end up going for the track record, which is you know still cool and impressive to watch. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'd like to see maybe Ford do it with the the Marque. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think it's it, it'd be nice, and I think it's inevitable that we'll see something like that happen. Yeah, um, hopefully under better circumstances next year. Mm. Um, but so let's talk about supercars real quick. Uh, it seems like uh, Van Gisbergen had a, a fairly good run and perhaps some some good teamwork to, to stave off as. Uh, oh, don't um, don't get of... me started about his achievements today. <laughs> but uh, no, they drove going on to yesterday's race. They they drove. Um, they did they did pretty well uh, today. But yesterday they didn't have the best day. Um, uh, Shane was a non was a non uh, classified in yesterday's race that Scotty McCott. Uh, McLaughlin uh, won with Cam Walters second and Chaz uh, third. Chaz is having a great resurgence at the moment. Uh, he's doing really well. Um, the other really good surprise over the weekend was the guys from BGR, both Nick Perkat and Todd Hazelwood both had a reasonably good event, um, both of them knocking each other off for today's two um, poles. Um, mm-hmm. The guys actually were having a, a really good battle. Uh, so in the first race today, we had uh, on Sunday, Sunday, we had Shane Van Gisbergen first and Scotty uh, second and Jamie Winkup third. So um, Shane was out trying to, to fix what he happened yesterday with the with the non non finishing. And then uh, in the second race this afternoon, Shane won again with Winkup second and, and Scotty McLaughlin third. But there was a bit of um, unhappiness at the end. Um, Shane did hit. Um, Cam Walters as he was about to enter around the time he was coming into pit um, and pushed him and spun him but there was no no penalty served uh, for Shane it was not warranted they thought uh, and then just before Shane pitted late uh, and changed to some really good tyres so he tore through the field like you would expect from him you know when he's on it when he's got a really good set of tyres and got a car that's nice and warm and running well uh, but then on one of the last uh, last couple of laps he did a pass on Scott McLaughlin, who was first, um, and looked to push Scott wide on the track, which allowed um, Jamie Winkup to slide alongside, and they took over the the the, the first and, and second position. Um, 
Scott, uh, Shane was fir- faster than Jamie, so Jamie actually pulled over and let uh, Shane go past to take out the wind. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was interesting. But um, unfortunately, as good as, good as um, both. Um, Hazelwood and Percat were, you know, it would have been really good to see both the guys finish in the podium, but for them, they finished sixth and seventh today, but stellar effort for them to both take pole. BGR have had a really good resurgence um, this, you know, these last few races, and the guys are really getting onto it. So we can only hope that coming into their home round at the the bend in a few weeks' time, they should be uh, good to watch. But I think it's going to be really interesting. Bathurst is going to, is going to be our decider this year um, for a championship, which has been a long time since that's been a, a decider for the championship. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. So the, the doubleheader at the bend in a couple of weeks should be really good to watch. Mm. Um, and then... Um moving on to, to Bathurst after that. But the guys will be happy to have a break after having four weekends back-to-back, the two in Townsville and the two in Darwin. Um, there's been no word of where, where everyone's going to go, whether they'll hang out in um, uh, Townsville for a week and then head to Adelaide ready to, to set up for the bend. But obviously they've got, a, they've got a long drive ahead because they've obviously got to drive from... Townsville, you know, some of the, the ones in Queensland may, may stay there and then make the drive just before the event. Um, there's sort of only one sort of real team in, in New South Wales. So will they base themselves back on the Gold Coast maybe for a week where they were? Or what will they do before they, they head south to towards um, Adelaide in, ter- in, term, in time for, you know, the, the next round? Um you know, in a couple of weeks' time. So, yeah, it should be should be a great finish to the season. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like it only just got started, but like I said at the beginning, you know, it's, this season um, is, is flying past us. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about Bathurst, um, you know, <laughs> and its results before we know it. Yeah, exactly, before before yeah. we even we even know where we're, where we're at. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's motorsport. And um, it'll be interesting to, to see the the results from uh, the Monza, and then uh, we go to Mugello next week. And um, the Ferraris woes continue, Mercedes continue their dominance, and uh, everything else in between is just a mixed bag. So it's uh, it's another drama filled, but really, there's you have to watch it. It's uh, it's uh, it's certainly a good watch. Um, yeah, the party mode hasn't made it. Didn't make a big difference in qualifying. Did, no, did it, it didn't. I think it, it harmed Red Bull more than it harmed, uh, <laughs> caused a problem for Mercedes. Yeah. So, um, and there's a lot of discussion around that as well. And I think uh, both Bottas and Hamilton have been having a bit of fun with uh, with the party mode. I think their last one of the last interviews that when they were both together was saying, um, I don't know, I didn't know that we had a, a party mode. What did you think, Bottas? Yeah. I'd, didn't know anything about it um you know just stirring the pot i think a little bit um for a lot of people and i think uh toto wolf has uh come out and said look it's uh the ban on things doesn't really matter we'll just turn the engines up a little bit more than we'd normally run them and uh and the goal for the engineers next year is to run the engine in quality mode the um the entire for the entire race so i think it's uh (laughs) It's going to be interesting, but you know, hopefully, out of that, we see um, we see Mercedes, uh, not Mercedes, uh, but we see uh, the customer teams benefit from from that as well. If uh, if that gets shared, so 
I don't know. We could, you know, it'd be great to see McLaren up there with a the Mercedes engine when the, which they move to next year. Um, you know, maybe maybe they gain some benefit out of that. But look, let's uh, let's jump onto some local news. There are some key things, and before we jump onto um, the the sales figures, uh, let's talk about um, so the 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 new Kona N line and um, and Kona being teased by. Uh, by Hyundai. Yeah, this is exciting. I, I really, I mean, I've been a fan of the Kona for a while, and um, I, I, I'd love to see. It's like those things. It's like having enough, enough money to buy enough cars to do what you want to do with them. But I'd love to see a Kona, uh, and and feel free anyone out there that these a fan and wants to take this idea and run with it. But I'd love to see a Kona. Um, Kona or a Kona in either or, but in um, one of the specs, um, you know, not necessarily slammed, but put on a nice set of rims and maybe lowered slightly. I just think that's one of those cars mm. that would just look so tough with a little bit, with a slight modification in, in terms of that. Even in the, you know, in the Highlander spec, the thing just looks so good. Yeah. Um, I just wish it's, it, was- uh, it shares a lot of the design. So in this updated design, it does, um, if, if you've been looking at the i30 and uh, the i36. Dan update that we've been talking about for a little bit. Um, there's a lot of design language shared within that, so it's a big, big mouth, very um, refined headlights. Um, uh, in, in in the images that they've shared, it's got a black roof, so it really hides that that top line. Very sleek looking. I reckon um, it's cleaner as well, Ash. It is. They they have refined that look a lot better, um, and I do think the the rear view on this one hasn't changed a lot, but it's just had some minor minor updates to it, which I really like because the rear of the Kona is really the bit that I don't like about it the most. Um, and so it's great to see those little little updates there. So what they've done, they've they've made a, um, so there's extra cargo capacity and rear seat legroom. Um, so that's great if you're a little bit taller. I didn't really have a problem um, with space. In the uh, even in the current gen Kona Electric, with the, which has to store the batteries and everything like that, but um, it's great that it's getting a little bit more space. You are getting more connectivity and convenience features as standard, um, and uh, so that's always welcome. It pretty much had all of the the safety bits anyway, um, but it's nice that they're they're sort of redefining what standard is, and um, the enhanced basically what they're calling the enhanced Kona and Kona N-Line because it is just a facelift. It isn't a totally new uh, Kona, but um, we should be expecting it in the first quarter of 2021. So not too far away either. Yeah, it's good because it's 40 mil longer, um, which is cool, which obviously is helping with that space. But it's also running... Which also means like they're calling it enhanced and it by, by all... Right, it is a, a facelift in a way, but you know, typically in a facelift, they don't make the car longer or or anything either. So they've done a little bit more than just a facelift, um, even though on the surface it might just look like that. Yeah, and it's also a larger screen internally, so it's now yeah. a ten-inch screen, um, which is which is pretty cool. So um, there's also going to be a hybrid uh, option as well. Um, so it's good to see that that is staying in the range because you know we've spoken about it that we are a bit of a fan of that of that Kona hybrid uh, and yeah I'm intrigued to see where we're all waiting for the next launch which is a Kona N you know we've got in can't in surely it's got to be on the way if they've got yeah. an N line it's got to be coming for sure. Um, and, and there have been the teasers of, you know, those vehicles 
been in testing. So we can only uh, only hope that you know we do see that. But we have shared images on our. Um, on our Instagram page at Daily Autofix. So if you want to jump in and see the photos, you can uh, check them out on on there. But yeah, quarter, quarter one, 2021. So not too long. But no. at the same time, so Hyundai had a little bit to share this week. Um, so they've also, and this is more of a tease, of um, a very Blade Runner-ish kind of looking um, Tucson. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a very interesting look to it. It's kind of a progression shift again. The um, the light panels uh, look like it's part of the grill. Um, like you said, it's yeah. very very futuristic. That full long um, one LED light on the on the rear with the with the and then the two splits in as part of the brake lights just looks stunning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's um, very futuristic. With the interior in particular, um, is very cool with the the angled screen and that whole one piece center center um, layout is really cool. So the premiere of it will be on the 15th of September um, yeah. on in the morning for us here, here in Oz um, so that's um, not this coming Tuesday but 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 next uh, so yeah it's um, it's going to be something interesting to look for uh, you know hopefully it would all be something we won't have to wait too long for but we'll bring you more details uh, next week on, on next week's show of exactly mm. what uh, they've announced yeah because I, I had a friend of mine a good friend of mine message me after we shared we, we put those images up on uh, Instagram as well and um, he said oh is this is this what the real thing's going to look like and I said well it's a teaser image and they're going to reveal it uh, next week so I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that it's pretty much exactly what it's going to look like because it, it does look a little bit more like a, a concept car um, mm, very much the so they're showing it but look if they're going to be doing the world premiere um on the 15th well oh, what's the jeep saying i'm in you know yeah <laughs> sorry but you know, it, if it looks like that yeah it's uh i don't know not too many uh not too many car makers can make me super excited for a, for an suv um, a family orientated SUV anyway um, so. yeah and it's that family look now you look at the new Santa Fe and stuff like that so they're really yep. really cool so um, in terms of what they're doing and what they're planning moving forward so yeah it's exciting stuff yeah and um, in terms of exciting stuff this put people uh, side by side you know sort of on one side of the fence and, and the other um, is the new Mercedes-Benz S-Class Um which they revealed. And look, I have to agree that it's not just BMW that are going after and wanting to to make bigger and bigger front grills. Um, We shared some images on on Instagram as well of the new S-Class and um, yeah, the the front grills are are getting quite big um, on here, but the technology is really cool. Um, So really, it's kind of what you come to expect within the S-Class. It is, um, you know, kind of wanting to lead the way in in the inclusion of of, of new features or new technologies, so um, they are introducing like a, a rear airbag. Um, so even it's an optional extra for the S Class with a long wheelbase. There is a long wheelbase version. Um, it's got rear actual steering, um, which isn't necessarily anything new to um, performance cars, but obviously with a with a really long car like the S Class, that does come in handy. Um, but there's also they've got um, 
you can do now over the air updates for um, electrical components or systems um, within the car. So if there's something, uh, basically you can get your get your updates via the internet and um, you know some people will like that some people won't but I think it's I think it's a great thing to ensure that you know if you, you always have the best uh, possible experience well that's the intention anyway um, having the best uh, possible experience from from your car which you're spending a lot of money on um, but yeah, it's a it's a beautiful looking car that they've enhanced the um, the interior lighting as well. So the active ambient lighting, um, I've always loved the lighting. Uh, whenever I've driven an S class, it it's just blows you away, and and they've slowly rolled that across the different um, uh, Mercedes models. But the S class just it just felt so good to to have something like that it, it's kind of like you know a lot of people have rgb lighting on their on the computer cases um <laughs> but it, it can it, it can actually help you know make you feel a bit more a bit more comfortable a bit more relaxed um whilst you're in the car which i think is obviously uh, a lot of people are you know road rage and, and people are getting a bit intense on the road and so if anything that helps uh, people chill out a little bit more um you know <laughs> i'm all for yeah, Mercedes interior at night is a very nice place to be. Yeah, um, the layout and the lighting in these in in a variety of these cars um, is just so awesome. You know that yeah. ambient lighting and and stuff like that. Even just on dusk, as you start seeing the, just as it's starting to to, to warm and glow, and it's just yeah, it's it's a special place. And yeah, this um this S class has had a lot of talk during the week. It's got um. It's an interesting design, particularly at the rear around those lights. It's got a little bit of an old school feel about it as well yeah. as still having a, a modern take on it. So um, I'm sure it'll uh, it'll sell well here in Oz when uh, when they land. Yeah, and, and so they've made a, a bit of a move into... Um, so they say that they've got more than 98 kilos of components made from resource-conserving materials. So they're also being... Um, you know, a lot more conscious anyway of what they're putting into those vehicles in terms of from a sustainability point of view. Um, so they've also, you know, um, what is it? Another 40 kilos or so are also made from renewable raw materials. Um, so that's obviously it's a, it's a great thing, particularly when, you know, we've joked in the past of how many cows is needed for a, for a leather interior <laughs> in a, in a car like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know they've made some interior updates as well. They've got, I don't want to say Tesla like, but a, a big center screen as well. Um, that's an OLED display. Um, so I'll be very interested to see how that is because um, OLEDs are, are very prone to to burn in, um, and usually there's a specific technology um, and a lot of effort put into automotive displays. They're not just like your typical display because of the different lighting scenarios and everything like that. And that's why if you have like an older BMW or anything like that and you need to replace a head unit, that's why they are so expensive because it's the, the screens themselves, whilst well, they might be low resolution, they don't always look the best. Um, but there is a lot of technology to make them viewable at almost, you know, pretty much all lighting scenarios. Um, but yeah, this we've, we've uploaded photos, check it out. There's, it, I think it's, it's a, it's a nice update. Um, not sure exactly who S-Class buyers are for anymore, particularly in the world of COVID, um, with uh, perhaps uh, limo services not being as popular. 
I still think for for those that the families that prefer uh, a sedan or yeah, more okay. the more older mature generation, mm-hmm. particularly around kind of part of the suburbs that I. You think Frequent. they're not buying a Porsche Taycan? No, look, I, there is still... I mean, near, near where I am, there, there's a really big Mercedes dealership and Mercedes is, is a strong brand in this yeah. area. Yeah. But yeah. I think um, the S-Class is definitely one of those for the older generation that have, have had previous S-Classes or even E's, yeah. um, but they want to upgrade and they just they just know that, you know, when, they're, when their current Gen 1 or whatever it is gets on in time and it's time to trade in then you effectively it's a no-brainer you just go into yep. the next model so um they just they they like what they like and and particularly when it, you know it's an upgrade and and particularly when <laughs> the the specs of these things just keep getting better mm-hmm. and better um yeah i think it's it's pretty it's pretty pretty popular um but the other thing is is they're saying in part of that uh launch is that more than one third of all saloons of the last generation of s-class went to china so we have a strong chinese population here in melbourne so i think that again is a another market they Mm. they like those um european brands and 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 those brands that that signify um prestige and s class is definitely prestige so again it's that same same thing the the older generation or the the successful generation that are that more middle maybe middle age that sort of thing is very popular so yeah. um yeah i think that it's just for them it's just a simple simple thing so i think for the mercedes-benz dealerships once we sort of come out of lockdown here in victoria and these things go on sale i think they'll be reasonably popular uh, and will mm-hmm. do do quite well um because of what they are into the market um in saying that though the you know the suvs are still very popular and um you know if i was looking at a mercedes range i'd be looking at probably more uh, a, the wagon version more than anything else or a, or an suv but um mm-hmm. you know i walk I'm on my walk at the moment of my daily exercise that we're allowed out for currently only an hour a day uh, i was walking the other week and uh, i passed the first time and and just it caught it out of the corner of my eye that there was a there was a, a, a wagon for sale like an older generation Merc. Mm-hmm. So I actually went and started doing a bit of research and and spoke to um, a friend and we started talking you know uh, C and E class wagons and stuff like that. So it's interesting looking back into the history of what they've done as a brand in and that sort of stuff. But um, again, talking to overseas journey mates, there's a there's a friend that's recently. Um, just finished his review on the um, one of the, the wagons over there, and they reckon it's you know it's an e wagon, an e sixty three wagon, but he reckons that it's probably the the pinnacle of um, perfection in saying that it's an e, an AMG e e sixty three S wagon. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued to see you know how the S sells, but I think the e you know, for what they offer and obviously the SUVs, you know, maybe this time next year we look at um, VFAX and uh, and see um, where they're at in terms of how the sales have been. Yeah. Uh, well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anything, uh, anything else to add. But, yeah, I think it's... I wonder how long it will be until we start to see more of a hybrid model within the S class as a as you know as a leading um, technology source um, you know 
of uh, leading technologies, I should say. Within that, they've got the the EQC. So I wonder how long it will be until we start seeing a serious take on an S-Class um, hybrid or electric uh, model. It's certainly got the the space there for a, for a nice big battery um, in the, in that chassis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, but let's let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, the Australian Jeep range has been updated, so we've got a couple of updates to the to the Wrangler, um, adding a couple of new variants. Yeah, so they've basically refreshed the MY21 Jeep Wrangler lineup um, yeah. with a sports S variant um, to to, to uh, in the two door range as an opener into that, mm-hmm. and then all an, an all new Night Eagle, which is going to be the entry level for the four door range. Weird having two different model names for for basically the entry point in two and four door, but I suppose if you walk in a dealership and say, "I'm looking for a Sport S" or "I'm looking for a Night Eagle," the dealership instantly knows that you're looking yeah. for either a two or a four door so I kind of kind of makes sense but yeah the, the night eagle um has uh black fog lamps uh fog lamp bezels gr- grill surround headlamp inserts badging as well as exclusive 17 inch um black alloys which makes mm-hmm. sense when you've got a jeep and taking it off road um yep. <laughs> and then you know they're also they've done um updates to some of the off-road tech which is pretty cool like the off-road plus the forward-facing trail cam which is a great thing for these things now to have um, for when you're driving off-road to be able to see sort of effectively over where you are Um, Mm -hmm. and then you've also got the so the Night Eagle um, where are we we're looking at pricing uh, options so 51,950 yeah. Um, is the starting point, which is still pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, but at least they've managed to bring down that entry level price um, while still, you know, keeping a number of key features in. If you are wanting to take it off road, um, you still actually get, you know, it still has a point um, of what the Wrangler is all about. Um, so, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think it's it's always nice getting a bit of a better price point, particularly mm. for the Wrangler here. Yeah, um, it isn't a cheap model, um, but it's. But when you look fits, at fits into the lifestyle of what a Wrangler is all about, and yeah. um, those people who are those customers that own them um, certainly take them. You know, they they utilize them well, and um, you know they're not a lot. Unlike uh, even in the states, they do. Um, they're not just paraded around you know the coast or anything like that they are usually taken you know to the on onto the beach onto trails national parks that kind of thing so you know that's um at least it should continue with that in these uh in these entry level models yeah and that's the thing is again it's another one of those brands like we were talking about with mercedes where people that have had previous gen wranglers will go back and buy the yeah, next one when right. there's an update yeah. but looking at that pricing an unlimited rubicon which i've been lucky enough to spend just a little bit of time in that isn't too bad for which is the top of the range. It's sixty-seven and a half grand yeah. um, 
they call this BVP, oh, base vehicle price, okay, um, which includes GST and LCT, excludes on-roads and dealer delivery. So you're going to spend a couple more grand on that. So, okay, mm-hmm. so maybe closer to maybe 70. Um, so that's not too bad for a Rubicon, which is obviously the four-door. Um, yeah. And the... Which I think, if off the top of my head, I think that pricing is a little bit better than it has been in the past. Um so yeah, I th- look it it's it's still not a cheap, particularly if you look at you know But it's and, ready and to go. That's the thing, is it's yeah, got the, that's true. the active on demand four by four system, true lock front and rear locking diffs, mm-hmm. um electronic front sway bar disconnect, which I've been told from four by friend people that it's a really cool thing to be able to have dual uh, heavy duty rock slider with step assist um (laughs) the rubicon hood decal which does look really cool on these but it comes with 32 inch bf goodrich which again i've been told are very good off-road tires um as standard uh and then um uh, off-road plus mode as well so like it's ready to go you can literally mm-hmm. drive it out of the dealership and straight off-road um, because it's got so much stuff in it so you know for, for someone that wants to go off-roading uh, it, it you know it's, it's well specced and you know pretty pretty good in terms of the package yeah uh, in terms of packages, uh, brand new Mazda BT50 range has been announced. Yeah, so they've been talking about this um, in terms of what they're actually offering mm-hmm. um, with the range. So they're going to have um, quite a variety. So they're going to have four by two and four by four, which is which is obviously going after the the Toyota and Ford market, which do the same thing so that they get into two sort of different categories. But then there'll be um, dual cab chassis um, in XT spec, um, as well as the dual cab pickup. Then they'll have dual cab pickup um, XTR and then a GT dual cab pickup as well. So um, technically they are pretty much the the same um, mm. but it's more the um, specifications and basically you know um, external mirrors with heating function. That's a great thing I'd love to have here in Victoria. I think it's one of those things that's very very <laughs> handy having those heated, heated mirrors. People sort of don't seem to think too much but heated front seats which is when, good. I have noticed a difference when even up here during winter um, we do get a little bit of um, a little bit of frost on the mirrors and things like that and uh, it does come in handy. As soon as you have a car that has it and then you go to a car that doesn't have it you definitely go Ah, oh, I really wish that would. I had that still because it makes a difference. <laughs> but the the spec list on on here is quite quite long, um, and we spoke about it. Like you know, the BT50 we've known known it's been coming. We've, we've seen the features before, um, but it just has such a long list of. Um, of, of standard features so yeah and even this you know. um, XTR um, or XT and the XTR over the standard um, sorry yeah over the the XT uh, with the XTR basically has um, quite a big step up in terms of some of the options that it has yeah yeah so I think it's um it's going to be uh nice to see you do pick up in that xtr dual cab um the you a few more leds um in there which i think 
it's kind of one of those ones at least that's the option and it's not the safety features if you know what i mean um satellite navigation which i can't tell you the last time i really properly used a set built-in set nav i use the i use apple carplay so um that you know and, and that's standard in the car so i reckon 99 percent of the people who, who who buy one of these are going to be using that anyway so um at least the removal of that in the entry level helps sort of perhaps claw back a little bit of um of a of a saving in there because you're not paying for something that you don't need um and you do pick up a couple of nicer things like jewels or climate control leather wrapped steering wheel um and gear knobs so yeah and that really comes down to um you know what are you using the vehicle for if you're in and out of a, a, a construction site all the time maybe a leather wrap steering wheel isn't you know something that you necessarily would want yeah. all the time and just having a, a plastic um it sounds really rudimentary that way they've really improved them the feel of them um of late but basically if you're going for a you know a, a non-leather wrap steering wheel that's probably usually the thing that you'd prefer if you're you know if you are dirty and and coming out of dirty work sites or whatever um but yeah, looks like a fairly good, good, uh, good lineup, and mm. um, you know, we're getting a bit of competition again um, through new models, not just through special editions. Yeah, um, which a, I think a, is, is really a, nice to see. Wide variety options. So it's a choice of four by two, four by four drivetrains, six-speed yeah. manual or six-speed auto, dual cab or dual cab. Sorry, dual cab chassis or dual cab pickups. And then your trim levels are uh, XT, um, XTR, and then the high-end GT, which is what comes from the rest of the range. So it's quite well laid out the way that Mazda are doing it. But there again, so many options. So it's kind of like that thing, you know, give the customer what they want. They can walk in and say, oh, I want to go this way and I want to go that and I want to go that. And then there's, there's, some, there's something for everyone in terms of what's available. But yeah, these higher in specs seem to be like the luxury model um, that they have uh, so that you yeah. can buy everything, get all the safety pack everything, but then just get the luxury additions that mm-hmm. if you want to go that way. So it's a good way to spec it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, so when so when do they become available again? They're I, uh, very soon, I believe. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're on sale. Uh, I think it's either this month or next. Uh, from October 2020. So okay. uh, I knew it was close. Yeah. I knew it was either yeah. se- September or, <laughs> it's in or that next. First, uh, it's in that first line of the press release yeah. and um, and usually it's the one that you don't release. I knew we'd mention okay. it when we talked about it's it a- when they were first announced. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but so, again, um, we'll, we'll touch on Audi a little bit. They're, um, it seems to they're, they're going, they're basically reintroducing every single model. Um, they've ever made because every week we've almost been uh, been talking about some new uh, vehicle which they're launching. This week it is uh, the SQ5 TDI, uh, so 255 kilowatts of power, 700 newton meters of torque from the three liter turbo diesel V6. Um, and uh, pricing of the special edition uh, comes in at one hundred and four thousand nine hundred. Obviously, add your driveway costs onto onto that. Um, but look, the SQ five has been very popular in the past. Um, it is I, I see it as a little bit of a bridging gap between um, the the Audi up to the Porsche Macan um, in terms of performance and, and certainly in, in pricing. Um, it is a is it. I see it as a gateway um, to going up to the 
to, to the Porsche brand. Um, but certainly a great um, amount of uh, performance out of these. A little bit, not as not as quick as I would have thought um, with a lot of the, the Audi S models, particularly um, getting some insane acceleration numbers out of their engines, um, where this one is coming in still a very, very respectable 5.1 seconds. Um, but I just... Just want a little bit, uh, a little bit more. But it is kind of having a little bit of a weird. Uh, it is a, a hybrid of sorts, and this is probably the most interesting thing. So they have an electric-powered compressor um, that works with, uh, you know, what they call variable turbine geometry turbocharger. Um, so it draws power from a 48-volt mild hybrid electric system. So they call it an MHEV, and um, it means that. The fuel economy is only 6.8 litres per 100. Um, and you're saving a V8, about... A V6, sorry. Absolutely. And, and, um, and you're saving about 0.7 of litres per 100 um, through, that, through that hybrid. So even if you forego that hybrid system, it's still pretty good fuel economy um, at, at under 8 litres. But once you're adding in that hybrid... So it's a... Probably the most interesting thing is that they've they've mentioned it, but it's kind of a fairly quiet way to say this is technically a, a hybrid without sort of going all in on, on calling it a hybrid. Yeah, it's interesting. That technology that they're talking about with that EPC has actually come from the SQ7. Um, They were using it in that previously uh, in that setup. But, yeah, there's two different versions. So there's a TDI and a TFSI. Um so you can buy it in two different specs. So that's cool that, that you can have um, either option in this. There's going to be a special edition for the TDI, um, five kilowatts less actually than the T the TFSI. Um, both around the same price of around about 100, and, 100 to 105,000 yeah. MLP, uh, obviously excluding delivery dealer delivery and government charges. But yeah, um, I didn't realize that there's 30 different color tones available on those as well. So. Which is a lot more than uh, I think. I think we've been used to in terms of uh, premium brands at the moment. Yeah. Particularly in the performance models, they usually go, "We've got five colors. Which one do you want?" Um, but it's nice to see that they have a bit of a color choice again. Yeah, and they, they um, do some great colors. I've seen a couple yeah. of there's a and particularly part of like what what we call like a relatively standard list. Obviously, most um, brands will offer you like, "Oh, well, we can do color match or you know historical color choice." But you know, it's, it's nice having it on the option book of having a uh, thirty or so. Um, color options. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's always good to to have that ability to choose Absolutely. different options. But most of the ones I see around <laughs> around here locally are all um, not overly bright colors. But there is no. a nice dark blue SQ7 that does get around, which looks mm-hmm. really really good. I like that color choice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so Subaru, a bit of sad news. Really um, sad news. I'm very sad. Very sad about this uh, announcement from Subaru, but I but I can understand it. Yeah. Look, it's uh, so after 31 years, as um, probably what what Subaru themselves call it as a cornerstone of the range um, here in Australia. But they they've announced that the Liberty, their four door sedan, has uh, has come to an end. Um, with that, uh, it's it's obviously played a big role in the past here in Australia since it was brought in in 1989 um, but obviously as uh, the shift to you know away from from larger sized uh, sedans has begun um, smaller brands like Subaru obviously have had to, to respond to that and, and they've 
launch more SUVs and um, smaller passenger vehicles. And so, uh, yeah, it's the uh, end of an era. Yeah, it is. And it goes back, you know, a long, long period. I mean, um, you know, this was in Japan, these are called legacies. And, and due to the legacy name being used here in Australia, they could never call it that. So we're yeah. a unique market that the Liberty is called the Liberty here as, as a result. So, um, you know, there's been some great models. Um, it was rallied here for many years. In the, the, and I first remember a precursor to the WRX was the Liberty RS. And that was a a great little package car and a really really um impressive car to as a as a road car but then it was really really mm. popular um as a rally car and then obviously once the wx came along it kind of lost its um its performance tag but subaru australia actually did many years ago and i, ha- I didn't get a chance to post it during the week um i got a little bit busy with some other stuff i had to attend to but i was going to post some uh some images of the um liberty that they did which was a um, tune by STI so um, Subaru Australia yeah. was back in, in that era of that time when this came out Subaru was very very um, Australia Subaru Australia was very very sort of keen on doing these things so they took a bunch of um, liberties and basically took them to one of their prep yards here in Victoria and effectively took off wheels exhausts and basically made this liberty which was tuned by STI um, and it was an impressive um, car it still had everything about liberty but it had this tuning tuned ability that had obviously a ch- changed exhaust um it was better it, i'm pretty sure it had improved suspension but yeah part of what we did was this was a build process that they did with a team of people um that were involved to build this thing and they mm. literally i went to, i went to the production line and, and took a shot with the guys and they actually used a couple of mechanics from the rally team and greg Folletta, who was um the co-driver for cody crocker back in that era of rallying was actually part of that project um, yeah, and right. yeah, it was really, really quite interesting to see that. So that then became, they took after they did the Liberty Run, which was really, really popular. It sold quite a few models. They then went and did that to the WRX, and that became the WRP10, uh, mm-hmm. which they built in that time. Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting model. Um, you know, it, it's it's sad to see that its reign has come to the end, but but we get it in terms of what else is in that range. I, I last drove drove a Liberty um, in the current spec and i loved it i think it was really really impressive yeah. it was my first chance to drive something with with the eyesight tech um but really comfortable to have um they've sold you can see from the sales numbers over the past two years liberty has sold a combined total of two and a half thousand compared to outback of thirteen thousand. so yeah and, that, and that's you know when, when you look at numbers like that you go yeah that's fairly obvious as to why they've made that decision yeah and I mean, the Liberty was popular for a lot of guys that I knew that had them. Had the wagon, you know, the wagon was mm-hmm. a, was a great size, but that's now been replaced by either the little Vorg or the Outback. So, yeah. you know, the the sedan market we know has shrunk. That's why Holden and Ford no longer make them here. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it's look. I, I applaud Subaru for, for for making the the hard decision to do it and and to withdraw it from the market. But uh, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, with everything else in their lineup, they've got such a strong lineup now. And you've just talked about the the Impreza, um, the Lavorg is a great model. We've got a new one of those coming. Um, the the Forester, uh, the XV. Um, you know, and we we're still hoping that they might bring the the bigger SUV the um that they're building in the US uh, but you know for what else the Outback's been a big seller um, mm. you know there's going to be hopefully a new BRZ uh, so yeah look it, it's not like it, it will be missed from their lineup but it won't be because there's so much other cool stuff that they've got in the market yeah I think um and, and, and we've, we've spoken about this obviously with the Subarus and the technology they're building into it and um, yeah I think it's uh this is all in the, in, in the pursuit of creating uh, a more sustainable, you know, railway for the brand, and that's important. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's sad, but obviously, you know, it's a, at least they're making the decision now. Um, when obviously it makes sense for them, uh, but yeah, it's a. It's sad, but, mm. you know, hopefully it means that we get some other interesting cars. Yeah, if they um, reduce... Within... I mean, I'd love to see them bring the, As- the Ascent out, which is their mm. bigger SUV that they have in, in the US. Um, being yeah, because we don't really get anything big out here from Subaru. So. No. Well, they used to have the Tribeca, which was the last big car that I had. But again, the Tribeca was ahead of its time in yeah. terms of what it was for the market. The the the, in, the market and, and the demand for that kind of car was nowhere near mm-hmm. as what it would be now. I think today, particularly the second generation one, which had a slightly different design to it, I think yeah. it would have been, um, it would be a big seller probably today for mm-hmm. those that have had the previous gen um, whether they've been an Impreza owner or they've been a Liberty owner and wanted something bigger, they wanted the families grown and things like that. I think the Tribeca yeah. would probably would have been a would have been a good seller now. But again, it was ahead of its time. It, it was um, there wasn't the demand that there was for SUVs that there are sort of now. Yep. Yeah, well, let's um, let's jump into some VFAX. Um, it's been a, a bit of an interesting um, month, obviously, with the lockdown in Victoria. So here are the key points of which uh, the FCAI, which is the Federal Chamber of... Um, Automotive uh, Industries. That's it, yeah. I was saying it, I had it in my mind, but then it left. Um as, uh, as casually as the sales have, um, it seems. So August 2020, um, they sold 60,986 new vehicles, um, which is a decrease of 24,647 vehicles or 28.8% 8 um, compared to this time last year. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a, a huge, huge downturn. Obviously, the, the passenger vehicle market is down by 11,000, um, which is about 42.8% over the same time last year. SUV, uh, the, the sports utility market is down um, 17%, like commercial is down 35.9%, and the heavy commercial market is down 20%. Um, but of course, uh, Toyota was the leader again in August. And, um, but probably a surprise the most- vehicle. Yeah, so um, unlike uh, previous times where it's you know it's been the Hilux pretty consistently, um, it's it's the Rav Four 
taking that top spot. But it's not just any RAV4, it's the hybrid um, version. So it's the first time a hybrid model has actually uh, taken taken the top spot. Yeah, it's it's great. It's good to see that. And we knew obviously the demand, the supply has obviously got better for them to be able to improve the the numbers that that are, that are selling through. Um, yeah. and it's still down because uh, we had a we had a hybrid Rav4 up here in Brisbane um, that I was hoping to book in um, before the end of the year, and um, unfortunately it received some damage at the hands of another journalist. I don't know who, but um, uh, but yeah, it as as the Toyota person said it. Uh, most likely won't be coming back to the press fleet, so that's a bit. <laughs> it'll get it'll get moved onto a dealer because they want the demand to sell it, so which is good. That's it. You know, yep. when when you, and, when and it means that we probably won't see one back into the press fleets uh, for a little while because of that demand is so high. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing is it's it, it's it's been selling so well. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And just having a look at that, where are we? So, um, looking at the numbers on that, their sales are. Up thirty eight percent month to date, uh, and yeah, sorry, fifty, sorry, hundred and forty percent month month. Uh, I know, and fifty five percent year to date. So yeah, there's obviously a bit of an improvement on that in terms of the sales, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it's been quite popular. But looking at um, obviously the top end of the market, Ash, I just uh, scroll past. So um, Porsche sold twenty five nine elevens last month, which yeah. is impressive. And- and that would be all um, factory orders too. There, yeah. There's basically, from what I understand, when when popping into to the odd dealer, there's no stock to be had. So they're all factory orders, which oh. usually means that they're, 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 they're at full price. There, there's no negotiating on yeah. those ones because if you want a slot, you uh, you got to be prepared to to pay. Um, pretty much uh, straight up retail for it so it's um yeah, yeah it's really interesting and, and also ramp they've they've maintained um they're not as they've they've had a slight dip but they're still at 245 units um for for august which is i, I would regard as quite quite solid yeah. um you know for for that brand and um yeah but what what is interesting uh rolls royce still sold three vehicles um and uh, Bentley sold eight, so they're down on last year. They're about half of uh, what they did do. Um, but it's just interesting looking at the super, like you know, in that that very top rung, um, and and seeing that you know things are slow. But even McLaren sold more than they did last year this time. Um, so it is sort of ebbs and flows a little bit. Um, but you are usually talking very low volume. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a I, th- I think it. I think seeing hybrids and electric vehicles coming up through these sales figures are not going to be um, much of a shock for any longer when it comes to you know what they're selling. Like even if we look at um, you know they still trail a long way behind in terms of passenger vehicles um, such as like the the electric only sold 115 100 you know 1627 hybrids 29 plug-in hybrids and um, 12605 uh, petrol vehicles but um but what is interesting when you look at the the month you know the, the to compared to last year because unfortunately the vfax don't give a very useful set of numbers compared to sort of tracking you know what was august versus um 
uh, July for 2020, etc. But if we look at, to to really identify a trend, but um, but if we look at the the proportion of numbers that change within just the passenger vehicle area, um, diesel was down from 679 down to 382. Electric was 120 in 2019 and 115 for August of 2020. Um, hybrid, 1,796 versus 1,627. Um, petrol is almost half at 23,000 versus 12,000. And plug-in hybrids actually sold more than they did last month. So you can see that the momentum for hybrid, electric, or plug-in hybrids has continued despite the drops and the market basically died out you know in 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 the petrol so i find that and i find that that's probably the more of the interesting story and if we look at the year today from january to to now they've sold two thousand almost or more than almost two and a half thousand more hybrids than they have in the same time last year and that's despite the COVID and everything that's been going on. And even Pure Electric, 605 versus 459 of last year. And 227 plug-in hybrids versus, you know, the 158 of last year. And I think that's the that's the really interesting story because that momentum has not slowed down at all despite all of the roadblocks from economic, um, from from health and all of those things. Um, it's it's managed to stay and, you know, for whatever reason um, of, of what, you know, the, the industry will put as to, to why that has stayed the case. Um, but I think it's a I think it's a great sign for those types of vehicles and, and it's a great real a really strong signal to to brands to go, hey, we need more options. We need more infrastructure for alternative options to, to diesel and and petrol. Um, and because and also the story is very similar for, for SUVs. Um, they're either the same or greater when it comes to, to electric or hybrids. And even, um, you know, in the like commercial, um, you're still only talking like 13 vehicles, but it's the same. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting uh, interesting story in amongst the, the massive sum that they've experienced um, as, a, as a retail market for, for sales. Yeah, it's interesting. And just having a flick through it, um, the Seltos has sold really well last month as well. They did over 1,000 yep. units um, mm-hmm. with the CX-3, you know, doing 1,100. Um, Mazda did, had, a good, had a good month in terms of their models, you know, 1,800 CX-5s. You know, RAV4 was obviously the top of the range at 4,800 units. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an interesting read. I mean, you could spend hours, you could spend hours digesting this data, but, um, you know, it's sad to see that the market has dropped um you know it's dropped over sort of 60 percent in victoria which is um you know not hard with so much of the dealers closed but the fact that there's obviously still some sales happening um is you know sort of better uh, better than what we'd uh we'd, we'd like to see but they still sold um you know eight thousand units in for this for that month so um obviously people have been able to to get some sales through with the online model but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, next month. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, whether we, 
we're like we're still getting a lot of new model releases as well and we have a lot to come um this year um you know if everything stayed the same it would have been a blockbuster year of car launches because there's a ton of new cars coming through like every week we've been talking about a fairly significant launch like even the the new defender um from land rover it, it kind of had a lot of um a lot of fanfare but because of you know the 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 tough conditions around COVID, we haven't had the the big fanfare of the arrival of the Defender, and I haven't really seen that many on the roads. I've seen a couple of dealers, and I haven't had a chance to pop in and and have a sneaky look, because um, even the launch events have only been held in, in New South Wales. And so, if if you're in Victoria, like you, Joel, or, or myself in Brisbane, there's not a really you know, we can't we can't go to New South Wales um, without wanting to you know to pay for uh, hotel quarantine, um, you know, mandatory holiday on the way back. Um, so yeah, it's a, I wonder if the, you know, as these launches come through and, and hopefully as we get to a better place at the start of next year, um, and people perhaps start coming back and going, oh yeah, I want a new car or I need something that's more economical, um, or I want to, I'm in a good position for my job. So I want to take advantage of the low interest rates, which mm. is certainly a, yeah, exactly. um, you know, that's some of the motivation even though i hilariously got an email um from from my bank it was just a generic offer and they're offering i think it was like they're they're offering a bargain of like five percent of like a you know like you know the the personal loan things to to buy a car and all that and i'm like that is an awful interest rate like (laughs) that is that it you know that's not that I wouldn't be sending marketing emails out to people saying 5% is a good deal when, you know, we're seeing promotional campaigns for, you know, around that 1% mark or even less mm. um, as a, you know, as the, the guide rate, because obviously it changes amongst everyone depending on um, your financial situation and that kind of thing. And um, I was almost angry at getting the email because I'm like, oh, that's that's ridiculous. That's a, If anybody else sees that and, and thinks that's a good deal, I hope they, you know, that's that's wrong because it is not a good deal um, for for something like that. And I immediately unsubscribed from it. Because <laughs> like, oh, that that's, that just makes me angry more than anything else. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I have I have high hopes. Um, and and the the brands have done I think a fairly good job to to remain fairly resilient and and keeping at least even we've only had a couple of car brands really step away from um, having press fleets available um, which is usually the first sort of sign of going that things are <laughs> if if they're not wanting to have a, a vehicle on you know out in the press fleet that even means from a, from the journalist's point of view, we're not getting the chance to drive the car and to write about and to talk about the car um, because we we can't we don't have a reference point for it. So um, you know most most manufacturers have only been one or two that have really kind of stepped back in that way, um, and others have have kind of ma- either maintained the same level of uh, of fleet or they've you know brought it back down to at least the you know a, a few core models or just the new models that are coming through. Um, so yeah, I think uh, we we might get lucky. I know that the dealerships are, have certainly felt the pinch uh, a lot, um, and uh, and I and I do hope for everyone. Um, it you know sort of translates into into some exciting new opportunities from from a price point, from a uh, from a vehicle movement point, um, because there are some good cars coming through.
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we... We've seen it as a result that people have been talking about, you know, what they've done, and you know, basically as part of this, we usually see it around the time that these numbers come out that brands are talking about how well they've done. And Lexus has announced that they've sold their five millionth SUV, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. That's globally, of course, but locally they've sold, you know, over sixty-seven thousand over the past twenty-two years, and you know that. For a lot of it, that was probably only a couple of models to begin with because the brand has obviously grown so much. You now have RX, NX, LX, and UX across the board. When you know, for a while, that was really only sort of RX and LX were the two, um, you know, key for them. Uh, their first was in '98, which was the LX470, um, yeah. and then the 570 debuted in 2008 um, when. Yeah, well, the LX450 debuted in 2018, which was the diesel one. So um, RX, which was the smaller one, debuted in 98. Uh, GX arrived in 2002, um, and then the UX in 2018. And then obviously we've had the RX um, L, which is their longer one as well. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how well they've done over the years in terms of how that's grown. But, yeah, SUV, like for a lot of brands, has been a real, um, you know, sort of not necessarily saver but an, an added um, performance booster for, for their sales because of more people have, have the are a fan of an SUV. Hmm. Yeah, so and in, in the electric hybrid story will also be interesting to see um, you know, particularly like brands like Lexus, where they've really led that way. Um, but yeah, so uh, anything else to add to to the VFX? No, not really. As I said, we could spend hours going through yeah, it. We know Mickey yeah. likes to talk about so that sort of stuff, and we're hoping he should be back next week on the show. So maybe if he's yeah, he's been he's been snowed under. Unfortunately, this isn't our full time job, so <laughs> it's, uh, um, we he has had a few projects uh, pile up, and um, yeah, we. Uh, we would like to have him back soon um, and as soon as he's able to. Uh, obviously, you, <laughs> you'll know because you'll hear his uh, voice on the radio waves or audio waves, depending on how you listen to it. So, yeah. Anyway, um, let's go back to another new Audi. Um, yeah, the Q2 has had a, um, a makeover. Um, yeah. It's a new new design, um, which is quite nice. It's it's following that sort of family. I think it's design. better than I think it's better than the previous one. I wasn't a he- I wasn't a fan of the first. Well, you'd be worried Q2. if it wasn't as good as the previous one. Yeah, they always like to improve the looks and things like that. But I think yeah, Audi definitely have a the Q2 has always been a, a fun um, little favourite of mine in terms of that sort of size and stuff like that. A good friend of mine has one, and um, it's a quite a small, comfortable little. Car. It's a good all-rounder for someone that wants something a little bit different. Um, She does a little bit of driving up into the country and stuff. So, um, And, you know, it's just that thing with a little bit more ground clearance and stuff like that, but still, you know, the benefit of having something like an A2 or an A1 size car, but with a little bit more, uh, a little bit height. So um, it's actually a little bit bigger now. It's now a few few millimetres longer. It's now... um, uh, 4.21 meters long, width of 1.7 and a height of 1.54. Yeah. Uh, they haven't changed the width and Three height. Petrol but- engines, two diesel engines as well. Yeah, it's good that they offer that cross um, variety of engine types yeah. in these things. So, um, yeah, it's uh, no it's- hybrid. 
Yeah. No, so. but I think that's probably a model that uh, they may do something to, I think, once they've kind of done the bigger range and stuff like that. Because, I mean, the, the consumption in these things is is pretty good um, as it is. Yeah. Um, for, for what they offer uh, yeah. in terms of, you know, their 5.4 to 5.1 litres per 100, um, which is pretty good with 110 sort of output out of the 1.5 um, TFSI. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, there's no uh, due mid-next year. So for those that are currently got the current model and wanting to upgrade you know it'll be a little bit while before they get it more information and specs to follow once it kind of lands here or closer to launch next year yeah and from one small one small little car we go to another ash yeah so this is one that i didn't realize um i had driven already uh technically um, in the Swift Sport. Um, so your one was, was the new one? Yeah, so that, yeah, that was cool. the Series 2. Obviously, with uh, Queensland being a different importer, um, obviously different timings um, happen. Um, but that was also the Swift Sport. This wasn't the, the regular like GLX um, or GL. But in terms of... It, it just has a, I think... Going from series one to series two um, is just a, a nice little update to, to improve the value which they're giving um, to you, particularly um, just the, the the safety features being added in really just sort of complement the the entire. Um, range which they have so rear cross traffic alert is just a nice um nice little added bonus they've refined the the blind spot monitoring um and also yeah the heated door mirrors reverse parking sensors um in addition to so previously they just had the um the reversing camera which is nice but the sensors are a a nice little addition onto that so yeah i think it's just uh um there's not much to complain about. Like there's a reason why uh, Suzuki Swift models retain their value so well on the secondhand market. Um, and that's because they're, they're extremely cheap to run. Um, they look good. Most of the parts are very reliable um, and, the, and the range of features are very good. So even in this now standard across all grades, you've got a digital speedo, auto up windows, which I'm sure Mickey would be extremely happy. (laughs) I'm happy. Um, Rear speakers as well. Um, That's one of those things that um, you just don't think about, but it is a soft, uh, a cost-saving thing. Um, But now they've added that into across to the GL Navigator variants as well. Um, Plus, I've just done some very minor um, exterior visual updates. And um, you know, pricing starts at eighteen nine ninety. Um, that's their their recommended driveway pricing. So, you know, that's that's really cheap. And when you go up to the GLX Turbo in automatic, um, that's just twenty five thousand um, two ninety. So, yeah, it's a a lot of car for that money. It's a good size. You can fit four passengers and or five people if you really want um, fairly comfortably. It's a big boot with a dual level. Um, you know, with the floor, you can lift up or put down. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good update, a solid update. Um, and the Swiss Swap version as well is an excellent value as well. And good price too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. they started the GL... I like the model name, the GL Navigator. That's a, such a cool name. Yeah. Uh, starts at around 18, just under 19 grand and then goes to the GLX Turbo at 25 grand. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a good there's, model there's, for, for what there's not a lot. There's not a lot to complain about when, when you're getting at that price point for, for what you're getting. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, it's, it further further addresses the, the point of... Um, uh, so let me just bring it up again. I just closed it. Uh, but even once you factor in the, the servicing costs, like usually, like even the RACQ um, up here in Queensland, they'll, they'll usually do the most affordable um, vehicle categories. And um, it's usually for, I can't remember, they had a streak for a long time. I, I haven't looked at it recently. Um, but the... But the Suzuki Swift is usually the one that wins its category um, for for servicing cost as well as repairable uh, repairability um, in terms of the cost of that and availability of parts. Um, but now with uh, and and this I can't remember off the top of my head the differences between Queensland and the rest of Australia. So there will be very minor differences between this. Um, but there is a comprehensive five year unlimited kilometer warranty um, as well as cap price servicing, um, which is a twelve month fifty. 1000 kilometer um, intervals for the GL Navigator, but for the Turbo, um, it is a slightly smaller kilometer interval, but it's still at 12 months, so 12 months or 10,000 kilometers. Um, so, yeah, it's even from a servicing cost, uh, they, they, there's not too much to, to complain about either. No, exactly. Yeah. All right, and then uh, just the last little one before we uh, jump onto our bring a trailer, and then we'll finish up with some international news before the uh, the start of uh, the Italian Grand Prix, uh, which I'm eager to to get set up for and. and comfortable uh, but the the 140 TDI diesel returns to the to the Tiguan all space range yeah the, this engine package that VW have in the in these models I, um, I didn't realize that the 162 was the high line but yeah the 140 TDI is um, returning to the range um, and offers of the optional R line pack sound and vision pack panoramic glass roof which I think is a must in these things these days yeah. um, and a selection of metallic paints R RP's 55, um, which is maintains the the previous price premium of 1500 over the 162 TSI. Um, yeah. So yeah, available to order now with market uh, hitting coming to market next month uh, with a, for a small allocation of MY20 vehicles, full allocation of. MY21 will begin arriving in early November. So if you're not in a hurry, I'd probably wait. Um, yeah, that's that's really weird. It must yeah. be. Do you think they intended on launching it earlier? But I then- think so. Yeah, and then obviously yeah. probably factories being slowed down with Europe production and everything else. They've only been able yeah. to get a small amount of MY20s, which you know could be if people have been waiting for it to get back into them then obviously they could be snap up very very quickly but if they don't and the M- and they're not all sold by the time M121s land then you could, get a, you could get a good deal on an MY20 <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah. you know for but reason- just just be mindful you know of um, of what it is when you are buying it just to make sure you are getting that MY21 um, they don't really go into the specifics of what the differences are and obviously no. if they're mentioning the two they probably won't um, I think it'll for, just be that it just, it's just that model model year build number yeah. so obviously the the MY20s that are coming have but prob- when it comes to 
when it comes to insurance, yeah. um, resale, trade-ins, they they typically like to sting you with that. So just keep that in mind because you know they might tell you even if it is exactly the same, it is just good, you know, good to be mindful that yeah, um, there is. There is some minor differences when it comes to the, you know, the brass tax of things. Um, when it comes to the real business end, when it into it, so just just be mindful um, of it. Go in with your eyes wide open when it comes to doing that deal. Yeah. So we look forward to seeing uh, them soon. Yeah. All right. So uh, bring a trailer time. So how'd you go with last week? How'd your um? Had your your yeah? A couple of mine. Um, my the my pick, which was obviously that awesome Audi Quattro tribute, didn't sell. Yeah. Um, mm. The reserve was not met at one hundred and twenty four and a half thousand dollars. So um, a few of the journey guys I was talking to during the week, we were laughing and saying, "What would they have wanted? You know, would it have been one hundred and thirty yeah. or <laughs> yeah. or what? What were they expecting?" But it didn't yeah. sell, which is it'll be interesting to see whether reappears somewhere else um yeah but yeah out of my other choices the the thunderbird uh the rutledge would thunderbird i was i would say sold for 12 and a half so that's pretty good wow. the um mustang the fr 500c the race car sold for 35 um the wagoneer again didn't meet reserves so i'm guessing someone thought they knew what they had and and weren't going to sell it for anything less it, it yeah it stopped at 65 but reserve wasn't mm. met so i don't know what they expected for it um the police special mustang 93 model uh sold for 10 grand now that's a bargain for that um that's really well priced and then the el camino sold for nine three um so yeah that was uh it was interesting and then ash your mini um again didn't uh get reserved but no. it stopped at 11 grand yeah so, um, which uh, you know I, I think the the owner was probably hoping for a uh, what, what what would you think it would the owner would be wanting on that. What do you think that reserve was at? Oh, look, I would maybe say 15, maybe. Yeah. Like, I can't have been far like, off it. I feel like, though, if if they've put that much effort into even the matching trailer and all that kind of thing, I reckon they probably might have even wanted more for that. But, you know, for 11 grand, that, that would, would have been a total yeah. total steal. Maybe but, 20, maybe, if it was, yeah, you know, Yeah, so hard to say. Yeah, no, it's uh, but oh, I like it. I like it in that color. But um, yeah. But what did you uh, get to? This so week? another hard week. It? I started scrolling, yeah. and, and it took me a while. We were chatting offline before we started, and you started looking. You found yours straight away. Well, I, it took me a bit longer. I, I had to scroll fair through the page. But I've got a bit of a theme this week. Um, uh, I I kind of have the the. The winner kind of picked out um, two, two, two mentions, um, two Ford Broncos that were on there, both uh, okay. an 80, 10 years apart, an 85 and a 95. The 95, yeah. I think, would have to be the OJ Simpson special um, mm. because it's an all-white <laughs> Ford Bronco XLT 4x4. It's done wow. 36,000 miles. It ends in two days, and it's at 32 grand. Yeah. Um, Stunning-looking thing. Um 
Nice interior. Um, looks in really, really good nick. Uh, and then the other one was the 85, which is a little, obviously a little bit older. Um, still got, um, it's a Cali- California car. Still got Galpin um, number plate protectors on it. This has got six days left and it's got, it's at 19 grand. But it's stunning. It's all black. Um, it looks very tough. It looks like a, a baddies kind of car from the movies of that era that would be chasing the good guy down in whatever it is that they were driving. It reminds me of um, the cars that they chase in... Oh, I have to come back to you what, what film it is, but it's something around that era. Um, but then the other thing that I found, which was kind of a little bit different, was a Callaway Corvette. 89 mm. Chev Corvette Callaway uh, convertible. Twin turbo. It's only done 6,000 miles. Um, it's an 89. It's got 40 thousand dollar on it at the moment with wow. three days left um callaway was the was the tuner of that era of the the 80s i remember them being one of the fastest production cars around that time so um anything i don't like about it, it's got a white vinyl roof on it which is not overly pretty um so that was quite nice and then um I'm a bit torn at the moment. I did a Viper previously, but this thing's a 98 Dodge Viper GTS GT2. So it's more the racing version, yeah, um, nice. which has only done 8,000 miles. It's got it's got six days left. Uh, it's got 81,000 on it. It's in that traditional white with blue stripe. Um, look, it, it, I wouldn't say no if someone was to you know let me drive one or, or you know yeah. check it out but it's it's no uh, rtt rt10 um i know that they these things are a bit more um fine-tuned and stuff but yeah it's it's an impressive thing but my pick this week is a uh, no reserve twenty nine thousand mile 2009 cadillac xlrv so it's cadillac's convertible of that era um one of only 239 examples made in the final year production of the XL um, R. Um, 4.4 litre North Star V8 to a six-speed auto transmission. I mm. saw one of these in Oz many years ago. It was an evaluation vehicle that um, GM obviously had here, whether they were doing some testing or whatever it was, I'm not sure. But yeah, I saw it in Port Melbourne years ago. It was a blue um, XLR, very cool-looking thing. It was a hard top, not the not the soft top. Yep. Um, 38000 current bid four days left um oh these are hard top sorry not a soft top these are a, a hard um metal um roof so that would have been the, probably the same model as this not a big fan of the cream interior but um yeah and a fellow journo mate of mine said this would be his um retirement present to himself at some stage down the track yeah. if, uh, if he bought one um but yeah this is a pretty cool pretty cool car um yeah and something a little bit different so um it looks like it's uh it's from i don't know it's in ohio um so yeah cool looking thing really nice stunning in the red um so yeah that's my sort of pick for this week okay all right interesting um well i um so my honorable mention is uh and i shared it to you earlier um was the 1937 bentley four quarter liter fixed head coupe i just thought this looked badass it oozes um, um i don't know it oozes like a su- disney villain or something, something. like <laughs> yeah, Corella Deville. Yeah, know? true. I think of that, and and I, I, it would be more of a one where I'd take out 
the drivetrain and everything and, and the engine and then put in a modern one, like a kind of like what I said to you, a Robert Downey Jr. resto mod. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what I would... <laughs> That's what I would do. Um, just to, I think, bring back what the intended, you know, the, what the intention perhaps could have been mm-hmm. um, if they had the, you know, modern technology to go with it. But I think, it, you know, great big humping V8 would, would go really, really well in there, make it sound really tough. Maybe yeah. it doesn't fit entirely with the, the Bentley, <laughs> you know, story, but that's what I would think anyway. And, uh, yeah. I think that'd be really cool. It's currently at $100,000 with four days to go. Um, so it's certainly uh, not a not a cheapy, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good 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 bit of history, um, good good story behind it as well. Um, in in the comments as well, it's been shared. That's uh, that's great. Um, but so my first choice, and so I, I have changed my choice because <laughs> you're allowed I read to do the that. Comments, you can change I it up until photos, the last and um, so the first one that I was going to go with was that it's a it's a 1968 911s coupe um, as a project. So it's completely completely bare, really tight. Oh, state. I saw like, that. And you go, oh, that'd be that'd be really cool. Um, so it was original um, champagne yellow. And um, but it's it's currently in red, but there's parts where you can see the original paint underneath. Um, but it has been it, it is very rusted out. There is basically no is it? floor. Okay, so it's it. that bad on the floor and stuff. Yeah, so it's certainly something that you could save, but you would mm-hmm. need a ton of money, and yeah. um, it'd probably be one of those vehicles which you kind of go in a completely different uh, <laughs> direction in, yeah. in in creating something. Um, I don't think this would be a uh, particularly uh, amongst a Porsche owners. I don't think you'd get away with uh, anything close to a second rate restoration. You'd have yeah. to go a completely different direction, and um, you know, come up with something bespoke because you're probably going to end up replacing a lot of the metal mm-hmm. uh, on that car. And it's kind of like um, you know that that question of you know how much do you replace before it stops being the yeah, original. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so it's currently at seven thousand dollars. I think the the comments are talking about look, it can't get much more than that because otherwise the project just doesn't make a lot of sense because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have the original books it's got a new set of books with it but you know it's um yeah it's it like you know the, the car had been stolen in 1974 mm-hmm. it never got re- re- recovered you know yeah, this okay. this thing so it's got a bit of a history and you could could have created something cool around it but i just think it's it, that's better off for somebody with a lot more cash and a lot more mm-hmm. patience to do a bit of a passion project so i've settled on a different um a different porsche and um this one is all about uh i don't know it's just cool it's a it's a twin plug 2.7 liter powered 1970 porsche 914-6 oh, the race car. yellow race one yeah the orange one yeah i saw um, that yeah and so it's got a, a, a great bit of history around it um it's a scca vp2 race car oh is it x yeah. um, x that series yep um, so it was run, um, you know, as a, as a street car with several GT parts I love that two-tone in the eighties. Yeah, it looks great. Um, it's it's on. It's actually put on here through dealer consignment um, with a spare engine, service records, SCCA and PCA logbooks, and a Porsche certified uh, a Porsche certificate of authenticity and a clean Oregon title. So in terms of uh, purchasing a, a cool 
you know, a true race car <laughs> with history mm. and in a in great condition as well. Like this has just got everything going for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's been repainted in its original signal orange. It wears it wears steel wheel flares, and the selling dealer describes it. You know, they describe it as factory rims. Um, but. Yeah, I, I think it, it looks great. It's super tidy. Um, it's been, you know, it's been well looked after and restored, you know, sort of, you know, uh, restored in the way of, you know, put back to um, a, a very good, somewhat original um, condition for, for, you know, its racing history. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, it's brilliant great greatly detailed um images photos all that kind of thing and um yeah it, it kind of looks like a museum piece uh yeah it when does you're looking at the, the photos so it's uh, it almost looks too good to drive i know it's uh it'd be one of those ones where you do the occasional porsche track day you know? <laughs> um but it's certainly I'm going to be saving a few of those photos and using them as a wallpaper because yeah. <laughs> they're, they're that nice, good. They're nicely shot too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so and and the, and the great thing is with Bring a Trailer, there's some great um, question, you know, sort of great comments that come with it. Mm-hmm. And so one guy, you know, is, um, one commenter goes, "Just for the record, I know the car well, having raced against it when I when it was owned by um, by John Zupin and Monty. Uh, beautifully turned out." Um, and very competitive car that I never before had a shot at buying, and I'm hoping to do it justice. So um, there you go. So obviously it's uh, <laughs> that's that. So very cool, very cool. Yeah, car very indeed. But no, so all right. Um, if there's any cool cars that you see, I'll bring a trailer um, as a listener. Send them through. Would love to check them out um, because there's, you know we kind of every week jump down and, and we sort of start at the main page and just scroll and, and scroll and scroll. It's really kind of, well, that's my method anyway. I don't know about you, Joel. Yeah, same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So look, if there's something that we miss and you want us to, you know, um, send it through to us, please do. We'd love to ch- love to check it out because there's some great stuff that comes through. Mm. Um, but let's jump onto some international news. This one, um, we've posted photos and we are definitely getting the car in Australia. I know that for sure. Um, but I don't know about the local launch details because of the, the lockdown that's still going on. Um, but uh, the new Ghost uh, from Rolls-Royce has been revealed. And I think most importantly, it is a, a signal of the the direction of which Rolls-Royce are going into. So it's, um, the ghost became one of the most successful products that they, they launched, particularly under the, the, the ownership, which BMW inherited, um, from that. But this new one is built on a a rigid aluminum Rolls-Royce space frame architecture. It's all wheel drive, which is, um, I think a, a fairly, uh, interesting note and all wheel steering as well. So it's got unprecedented poison sure footedness as uh, Rolls-Royce describe it. Um, it's got a world first planner suspension system that, um, that increases the agility and effort, effort. Uh, I can't even do it justice. Um, I was going to try and put a, <laughs> put a, an accent onto that one, but, uh, effortlessness um so it's got the uh the traditional 6.75 liter twin turbo v12 engine um which gives you 571 uh horses with 850 new meters of torque um and stealing some some features from the uh 
from uh, the Cullinan, um, which introduced it with is the fully electric open and uh, closed doors, as well as there's, um, I haven't seen too many photos of it um, or much information, but it seems like they're doing an extended rule-based version of this as well. Based That'd on... be cool. Something that's a little bit bigger. Yeah, so they've they've, te- they've got photos on, um, and, I, and I shared it on the Daily Fix Instagram stories, um, but they've got a section on the Rolls-Royce website about the extended wheelbase of um, the Ghost. And, um, but is it yeah, much so bigger? It, it is, but uh, I, there's not, there's, I, I couldn't find much information. I couldn't find a press release about it. Um, but I'm sure it, it must be sort of in between the, the Phantom, um, the regular wheelbase Phantom and, uh, and the Ghost. Um, so it doesn't encroach too much on that one but um but yeah i i think it, i think it looks great i love the updating the sort of the updates they've done to the uh to that front grill and um the it does look pilots. very menacing on that front end i think it's t- kind of tidied up and particularly with those wheels that are on it it's got a really it's kind of got like a previous generation sort of phantom feel to it but yeah. nicer yeah it is it is very much a, a vehicle which they've refined um and i think that's i think that's great because that's what rolls-royce should be doing i think um they should be creating innovation in different ways and obviously they're, they're leaning on on bmw as well for that um i think uh let me find i've got pricing here somewhere um let me i got sent by the uh rolls-royce team um i think here we go um uh where is it so pricing starts from 628,000 australian mm-hmm. um which kind of feels cheap but uh they do have uh the uh, nice little asterisks on top mm-hmm. going rolls royce cars are bespoke yeah actual pricing is highly dependent on the customer specification mm-hmm. which and how you spec it Exactly. So it's it's kind of like, um, you know, anything and everything which you want to change on that car from the leathers, the type of leather, um, the roofing. Yeah, whether you go the... Um Oh, but but the the night sky feature yeah, and everything. Sky, but but yeah. the thing is, is that you don't like. This is how crazy Rolls Royce is um, in terms of customization. Like we know that Porsche is crazy on customization. Like any color, anything. Like if you want it, they'll do it, no problem. Um, but Rolls Royce goes that step further than really any other brand does. So if you like a lot of the features which they integrate into cars come from customer requests so that starlight roof was a request by a customer because they travel a lot and they wanted to have a car which had their you know the constellation of their home country in the roof and so they built that they did it and then they then turned that into a feature that then was available um, for you as a customer and you can customize that to, to whatever you want um, I know that here in, in Brisbane they had um, someone exploring the idea of having a, a basically a, a bare metal paint finish. Oh, um, that would be cool. So basically, no finishing on the paint, no thing, just plain metal. Mm. Um, and I think they got, I think it was like eight months into that process of researching how they could do it mm-hmm. um, before I think. I can't remember who who or what. I think it was the customer sort of moved on to a different idea um, and they ended up settling on something else. But basically, <laughs> if you can think of it and 
you're serious enough as a, as a, as a customer, they will, they'll put money into to research and to figure out a way how to do that for you. Um, or even if, you know, like the Phantom, you've got the little area for, for artwork that goes into the dash and you can have, they have their own bespoke ones that you can choose from, you know, if, if you don't have one. But like, let's just say... You, you, your daughter has um, created a, a you know Father's Day gift for you, right? A, a little drawing, and you were so in love with it, you wanted to put it and make that part of the car. Well, you could go to Rolls Royce, order your car, and say, "I want to integrate this painting into the dash." and they'll do that for you. Um, or if you want to have a, a particular artist create something for it, they'll go through that process and facilitate that for you. And um, and they've even had to come up with a process because obviously how unique those pieces are. Um, they've come up with a process now that allows them to remove it out of the car and, and take it with you into your new vehicle as well. Um, so the, the world of customization in Rolls-Royce isn't just limited to colors. You know, it is completely down to finishes, materials, whatever. If you can think of it, they'll have a go at doing it for you. Um, and I think that's extremely cool. And um, obviously only a very small number of people actually get to truly experience that type of, you know, that, that process. Mm. Um, but, you know, and, and that's where I think, you know, if, yeah, it, it, I don't think you're going to find very often a, a 600 and, you know, a, a, a Rolls-Royce ghost at that price be- simply because, um, you know, of the features that are available. And, um, yeah, yeah. But it's um yeah it's a very personal vehicle it's it's not like you don't you don't just go in and choose from uh, the range of cars that they have on the lot you know like oh we got a pink one we got a yellow one we got a blue one um you know and uh, it is very much a I think it's like it can be anything between prior to COVID you know it could be like a nine month journey or an eighteen month journey um depending on what options and 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 what you decide to do with your car and where that can be slotted into the factory um for the build. So, yeah, it's uh, very cool. I love the new update. Um, yeah, huge fan. Can't wait to, to see it here locally. I know that they're trying to... There's a lot of few logistical things I have to get through for a local launch here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to see it soon. Yeah, it's exciting to see what... Um, to see them here and the, the new look and to see how well they sell as well. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, let's uh, jump onto something that <laughs> is a little bit less than six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but still just as exciting, and it's the new yeah. EV from Skoda. Yeah, so for starting from a you know thirty three thousand um, pounds, so we can sort of round that up to about seventy to eighty thousand. But boy, this is a cool looking electric vehicle kind of though you you would be forgiven thinking it's a bmw from the front uh it does that, a grill yeah it's yeah. a it's a little bit different in the it doesn't retain that real standard skoda look it's a very different front end but when you look at if, it from, if you show that to me i i thought that would be like a if they had if they brought back the active the two yeah whatever the two, two active two active whatever two series active um which didn't really do well i thought when i first saw the image and i didn't read the caption i thought oh hang on maybe they didn't abandon it and then th- this is what they come out were coming up with and i go like oh i kind of like it um but then i sort of just go i'm like oh okay 
Cool. Um, it was a good design. I like it. And I like yeah. how they've gone for that sleek black and orange highlights. And um, I think, you know, it, it goes to a lot of effort to, to not make it look like an electric vehicle. No, you know, exactly. It looks the- like a dynamic, great-looking passenger car um, that just happens to be electric. And I think that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's actually being involved with the Tour de France as well. They're using it as one of the lead vehicles in it to, to effectively show it to people. So yeah. um, two two battery sizes, a 62-watt-hour and an 82-kilowatt-hour. Um, it'll currently saying with a range of about 316 miles, um, rapid charge capability up to 125 kilowatt, 10 to 80% in just 38 minutes, um, which is impressive, um, and sort of high spec levels across the board. This has come out of a UK press release, so there's no details as to whether or not it's coming to Australia. Yeah. Um, I really hope that Skoda do bring it here because I think it will be an interesting model. Um, and- My only concern is that uh, Volkswagen and we're not really getting any, you know, because Skoda is part of the Volkswagen group, that we're not really getting a lot of electric vehicles out of Volkswagen at the moment. No. And that's where I'm kind of a little bit doubtful we'll see this perhaps straight away. But, yeah. you know, it'd be, it'd be a clever way to, to introduce electric vehicles through the Skoda and then... Mm. You know, as a, as a gateway to the other brands, maybe I don't know. But yeah, the other thing is, um, it's got a flat four and five hundred and eighty five liters of luggage, which is pretty impressive as yeah, well. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a great looking thing. Um, it's available to order in the UK from later this year, with first UK deliveries expected next spring, yeah. um, which is obviously autumn for us. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's a good looking thing. Um, there's a rear wheel drive version and a four wheel drive version. Uh, so yeah. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll see it here um, in the not too distant future. Mm. And uh, perhaps a weird future, <laughs> if this is a segue and a half, um, is uh, Honda and General Motors GM yeah, um, they've, have they've... signed a, a you know it's an unbi- a non binding memorandum of understanding. So it's basically just a, a saying, look, I, a pinky promise. Um, depending on how far down the law of binding you determine pinky promises to be. Um, but basically, it's it's to combine efforts um, in accelerating innovation um, and more effectively deploying resources um, for advanced and next-generation technology. So it's it's not really that dissimilar to, you know, what Renault and, and, and Nissan have done. Um, you know, there's a, there are a few alliances out there to help, you know, make uh, these technologies you know the investment between the two um they've basically come and said hey rather than spending a whole heap of money each to try and do these things how about we you know work together and we kind of are in different markets you know honda you know they've that even here in australia they've changed their their retail strategy and obviously jam have totally changed theirs and they're focusing more on the u.s so you know it's a it's a clever way without stepping on each other's toes too much that you know they're investing in, um, you know, co-developing uh, certain technologies. So both electrified and internal combustion propulsion pro, uh, propulsion systems. And it looks to be that Honda wants to work with GM to work off their electronic, well, their electric platform, kind of like the Bolt. Um, yeah. Uh, which we talked about last week and that there's a new version coming. So this makes sense for Honda to be involved in, in from this point of view. Um, yep. So, yeah, it should be interesting to see what comes of this and what they kind of create uh, yeah. in the future. 
Yeah, that's right. It's uh, and and definitely, I think it reaffirms that that shift of focus of GM and what they're, you know, and how they're seeing, you know, their strategy as well. But um, but last week we talked about um the the Wagoneer uh, coming back, and um, it's now can we say it's semi-official because it's just a concept so far but it looks pretty much you know as a lot of comments have been mm. saying and a lot of comments we got as well when we shared it um was saying that it, it looks a little bit more than just a concept car it looks very um, finished yeah so they're saying uh the, so there's going to be two versions um there's a wagoneer and grand wagoneer um as the you know the different names probably uh would suggest and um so there's a couple of things in this grand wagoneer concept so it's got an advanced electric vehicle powertrain um so as they say hinting at sophisticated and fun to drive on and off-road performance um with leading 4x4 capability and zero emission nissan driving experience so that's um that's a really interesting take that they've gone with a large you know super large suv like this this is not a small vehicle uh by any means and um, but the thing is that they're they're wanting to to put these vehicles into production in Metro Detroit next year. So mm. I assume that these things like it's not going to change very much at all. And really, probably the only thing that could change because they didn't have to show it off was the um, the drivetrains. Because I mm. expect there's probably going to be some sort of V8 under there, and uh, an electric version will probably come later down the line because we, we're not really seeing any full electric drivetrains coming out of Jeep or Fiat Chrysler in the way that I think would suit a vehicle this size um, but I'm sure it's something that we'll probably have but a car of this size also the then allows depending on why it's configured for a lot of battery space as well it does so it could yeah, be quite a large range yeah. um, it's a it very- is a 7 seater it's not an 8 seater which like even the Toyota Land Cruiser was a was an 8 seater and this thing is even bigger um, so this thing is all about like I think you know they've, they've really got to focus on comfort luxury it is a it is a high end they call it ultra premium um upscale environment and well, when a lot of the, the images it is it looks insane there's a ton of screens there's big comfortable chairs i i, I don't think we're going to get this in australia I, I just can't see it happening um particularly for for a long while until perhaps jeep's um sales figures recover a little bit um but I just can't see the sink fitting on the road, you know. <laughs> well, I think like if they get enough interest, they get enough interested as well. So, um, you know, the thing is, like these, so. the wheels on this concept car, which look regular size, are twenty four inches. Mm. That's but most... it's a concept. They like to put it at least a couple of inches bigger normally than what they what but they would normally do. On the do, prototype so. that we were looking at last week, those vehicle those wheels were just as big. And that's on a prototype vehicle. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see to get some more information and, and perhaps see uh, some... Um, now that we've got the official images of the of the concept, mm. um, I'm sure we'll start to see a it's lot cool more that the, um, We'll be able to learn a little bit more. It's cool that the wheel, center hubs of the wheels actually say Wagoneer as opposed to Jeep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they do touch. a good job of um, of doing that. I think Jeep have have found the right beat with um, with adding you know that branding, and I think they do want to to have this 
brand sort of become a sub-brand. Um, mm. As they say, like, you know, the Wagoneer will become a portfolio of vehicles um, that redefines American premium and delivers a unique customer experience. So I think they're wanting the Wagoneer to be a little bit more than just a Jeep um, so it'll be interesting to see where they take it. So yeah. we are we are seeing different brands like even Hyundai with Genesis, Toyota with Lexus. Um, you know they are launching a slightly more premium product and and they tag it onto. Particularly with Hyundai, we saw it. You know, it was the Hyundai Genesis, and this is the the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. So maybe it will start to. You know, they'll depending on the success of it. Of course, they'll they'll slowly disconnect it and and allow it to be its own thing. Did you notice though that in the one of the Grand Wagoneer pictures, that the passenger side has its own screen? Yeah, I know. Yeah, so you've got a driver screen, a infotainment screen, a, a control screen for like your, your air conditioning, all that kind of thing. A, 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 your own infotainment screen for the passenger. Then you've got in the second row three screens: a center screen, obviously controlling, I assume, your um, air conditioning and your zoning. Um, for cooling in the back there as well as your own entertainment screens like yeah it's <laughs> it's screen overload um, but that's kind of kind of where it's going particularly if you know if 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 we're getting to a point where you know these companies are getting closer and closer to having um, some level of autonomy being able to drive well people are going to want to be entertained and you're going to need the screens to do that yeah, and that's that's cool, and I love the little fine details. And it's running little, Android as well. <laughs> the I little think, things like Ram Wagoneer and the little signage and the little stuff, all the little details. You know, it is a concept, yeah. so um, it's one of those things that they generally will do in a concept um, to yep. be a little bit different. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what it becomes when it's released next year. Yeah, um, when it goes on sale. But mm-hmm. um, it wasn't the only bit of news from Jeep uh, in terms of what they're doing, and we got a few hints of what they're going to do next. In, yeah. in this release in that they're releasing a um, electric version uh, of the Wrangler called the 4XE which we talked about last week yeah so it's a it's a bit of a funny one because it's a it's a, it's a hybrid um, in, in in the way but they're really leaning into that e side of things so you can get about 50 kilometers of pure electric operation Um but the the key things which they're wanting to to really emphasise on this, and and they've done it through the Renegade um, and the Compass as well previously, um, where they've got four by e models. But um, this they have put it onto um, a Jeep Wrangler with the trail rated running gear. So that means your solid front and rear axles, the full time four by four transfer case, um, the articulating suspension, and thirty inch of water fording capability. So they're going look, yeah, this is a hybrid, but this is a hybrid that you can go anywhere with and um, and get the benefits of having, you know, the turbocharged two-liter four-cylinder as well as two electric motors um, with torque fill. Um, so, you know, you're getting way better fuel economy, but, you know, with the benefit of, you know, you can still go anywhere with it and, and take a little bit extra fuel with you if you need it. And they've also thought, to, thought about where they're going to store it as well because it's yep. the battery packs um, mounts beneath the second row seat to help keep it safe from the elements you know obviously people are taking these things off road and whatever else so um they've kind of thought about it in that in that sense so um no mention of it coming to australia it talks about it'll be available in europe Mm. china and the united states in early next year um but no mention at this stage and and we don't and and 
the um, previous advice that Jeep have given, um, Jeep Australia have uh, given around the Renegade and the Compass models as well, is that they're just keeping an eye on the market. So they're not saying one way or the other, but um, but perhaps you know they they pricing will obviously be the most sensitive thing when it comes to this because they're putting a lot of new technology in. Um, but it, it it would be nice to see. I will I will have to. To be honest with that, and, and to have that as an option because yeah. there aren't many hybrid, four, like dedicated four by four vehicles available, um, at least in Australia, anyway. So yeah, it's interesting. But then another bit of uh, exciting. Well, it was more a teaser more than a release. Yeah. But um, Nissan have teased us more about the new Z Mash. Yeah. So they've they've they're, they're coming on with the. Uh, with a few videos and things here and there, but they are hosting an event um, on on September fifteenth. September fifteenth seems to be a pretty pretty busy uh, day of car reveals. At least that's on different time zones. That's a that's a benefit. But they are calling it the Nissan Z Proto. Um, it's a digital event, and um, I guess obviously this is going to be uh, the concept vehicle version of what this four hundred Z is going to be. Um, and then you know if the, if they are calling it that, we'll probably see it twenty twenty two. Do you reckon? Yeah, possibly. It's it's hard to say how far along it is. Um, you know, there was a video that we saw not that long ago that had a range thing for Nissan, and we thought we could see it in in the background yeah. of that. So, yeah. look, you know, it's it's hard to say whether we're going to see a a very basic non-drivable concept, or like we've just seen with the Wagoneer, a concept that's finished and drivable and could be ready to go to market very very soon. So, yeah, we'll we'll know more on the the fifteenth, depending on what they release. But yeah, a lot of people have been keen for this and waiting for this to. To, for the Z to return to the market. Yeah, so I think it's um it's 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 a it's a it's a weird time. Like I said with the the four wheel drives, you know, the 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 Wranglers, the Defenders, the Broncos and all that, you know, all these sorts of things. Um that we have another rush on, you know, these sorts of vehicles coming out as well. Um we've got the Supra and then now the Z, you know, a true you, know, you could argue a true successor to the Z um, history coming through because we haven't really had a refresh from the 350 to 370Z in a long time, um, if no, ever, technically. Um, so, yeah, so this is a good chance to also for them to, to readjust where it sits um, now that they know what Toyota are doing and, and what other people are doing. Um, and it also leaves the door open as to, well, what's happening with the GTR? Um because we didn't really get a, an update this year uh, that I can remember um, to the model year of it. We haven't really had more power or anything come through of that. So that, that will be interesting as well to see um, what does the, the Nissan Z mean for the GTR and its, uh, and its future as well. Um, will we be getting a hybrid? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Because so, it'll have to do a lot because it's already extremely fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is only, you know, they've already they're all already basically hitting the the two point nine second wall of acceleration. Um, you know what's physically possible at the moment with tires and and surfaces and things like that. So, yeah. Um, but I'm excited. Can't wait. Um, I would rather it come sooner than later. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, let's have a look at the the Aston Martin um, that that did surface a bit unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, and before I do, before we do go into this, um, it was shared um, by Supercar Girl or Hypercar Girl um, on the Gold Coast, um, sharing that Aston Martin on the Gold Coast has actually got one of the um, uh, Zagato. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, bread vans. Ah, oh, nice. The name. Um, but yeah, anyway, they've got one of those. Uh, one of ninety nine. It's actually car ninety eight of ninety of ninety nine. Yeah, um, cool. So yeah, it's. Uh, didn't expect that we'd have one here in mm. just sitting in the lot. <laughs> um, so I don't know what the story is exactly about that, but um, but yeah, nice little unexpected uh, bonus here in you know somewhat local yeah um but this one so this is this is really interesting um because it's just stunningly beautiful it almost looks like a and and uh, this a few people will be upset but just on the one photo that's on the road and track article it looks a little bit like a a, a mustang concept like a bullet concept in a way but it's what um, it's based on is it's based on the um the vantage yeah, so it's based from- on it's based on a, a prototype body of the 177 um, which is a but it's a vantage tribute um, that is you know it's 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 kind of amazing so it's a one-off commission by the Q division of Aston Martin and um, it's a carbon fiber bodied tribute to the original vantage of the 1970s it's called Victor and um, it actually uses one of the <laughs> company's own 177 supercars so basically from what I can tell the, they stripped it down yeah, they took off the body, took the thing and the bare bones and rebuilt it. Um, so it's got 848 horsepower from a naturally aspirated V12, sending power to the rear wheels by a six-speed manual transmission. Um, but, yeah, they uh, they sent the engine back. So it was originally a, a 7.3 liter. They sent it back... Um, to Cosworth, the original designers, and um, squeezed out an extra 90 more horses out of it um, without having to turn to forced induction. Um, they increased the amount of torque. Um, Grisanio did the gearbox, um, so it only needed two dedicated coolers and a custom motorsport clutch to handle all the power, so that's really cool as well. Um, but also it's got a... And it's not just a, a reskinned 177 either. Um, it is it uses suspension bits um, from and, and dampers from the track-only Vulcan, um, so that I think it's this is if if you're going to do a part spin dive, <laughs> you couldn't get any better than that. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's got a custom fiber dash, um, a Vulcan esque uh, wheel. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's extremely cool. It's I, a work of, work if, of art. If, if, I if, love if it. If you're going to spend a few million dollars, that's one way to do it. That's one yeah. hell of a way to do it. Oh, it's a serious work of art. They've done an amazing job on it, and it looks brilliant. But you look at it from the front, and it, it's it's that old classic Aston um, Vantage look that this a tribute yeah. to. But then you look at it from the rear, and it's got this awesome rear spoiler and sort of whale-tail design to it, um, which looks brilliant. But then you look at it from side on, on a three-quarter, and it's got that instant Aston Martin family feel to it. So, yeah, yeah it, every angle is different, but it's all really, really cool. I just love of- that this is such a well thought out project yeah you know what I mean like it's just so tastefully done and this is only what you could get through a factory option 
yeah, like resto mod won't get you this far. No. Yeah, stunning, absolutely stunning. And they're not, and they haven't revealed how much it costs. They haven't revealed who who owns it. But um, but yeah, hopefully the owner drives it. That's all I have for. <laughs> Can only hope. Yeah. But no, so what about, uh, let's go back into the realm of, uh, got a few more stories before we head off and uh, race off to, to watch the... There's a lot more Italian news this week than what we realise. It's one of those things, that, there's a lot that happens at the start of the week and then it might tinker off a bit and then everything sort of happens again towards the end of the week. So it's kind of a really weird sort of, um, you know, up and down kind of week. But this was, we've already talked about this before, this is the Arteon Fast... Um, shooting brake variant that they've built yep. but it's now available for orders in the UK so um, I think the Ardian is actually finishing up in Oz which is which is sad but um, the fact that uh, this shooting brake is um, is coming out is probably <laughs> sort of like the worst of the time because this is a, a really cool model um, in my t- time of being in, uh, in lockdown at the moment I've been spending a bit of time on uh, car sales and flicking around with um, with different cars and, uh, and and just seeing some stuff and V-Dub's wagons like the Passat um, all-track wagon and the Golf all-track wagon and uh, just there's some interesting stuff from them back in the time so I mean, really yeah. was really intrigued to see what this Ardian shooting brake would be like if it if it came here so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see what it does and maybe we can hope that maybe they might it might make its way back here yeah look uh, <laughs> we haven't really seen too many other photos outside of what we had already seen but this was just a yeah it it's just it's just a shame at the, the, the timing given that we are getting things like the you know the m3 touring and you know it's a, we are having a little bit of resurgence again in this um this space so yeah it's just a shame that we probably won't see it yeah um that's all i can say i don't want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> So we talk. We go from talking about um, something that uh, you know that, that's that's different in terms of a, a, a wagon, but we go from that to talking about the T uh, fifty, which we talked about the the new Gordon Murray creation, yeah. and they've already released a, announced that there's a new version coming, which will be a racing version, um, which will create which will the racing version will generate more than um, eight fifteen hundred kilos of downforce. It's lighter. It only it's only going to weigh eight hundred and ninety kilos, um, and it's mm. going to be even more powerful with the the Cosworth V twelve. Um, and yeah. they've changed. Gordon Murray has been quoted as saying they've changed hundreds of parts to optimize the car for racing and track use. So um, yeah, and, and it makes you go, well, why did I buy the other one? <laughs> um, I didn't actually, but you know. In my dreams, I did. Um, so this racing variant is priced at three point one million pounds before taxes. They they nicely put it in brackets for us before taxes, um, just so we don't rush out with our credit cards and put a deposit down too quickly. Um, but this this was created because of um, well, it obviously wasn't created straight away after the the announcement but basically this was this was driven as they say because of the um the demand for the t50 itself that sold out within 48 hours of the global premiere um it's probably one of the only cars that utilized the launch to actually sell the cars compared to most of the time we hear about these types of vehicles they're already sold out before even the press release goes out um but yeah so this 
it weighs just 890 kilos. They've tuned the Cosworth V12, so it's more than more than have 700 um, horsepower. RAM induction pushes that output past 730. Um, yeah, it's just cool and, yeah. and they don't really give us too much more of oh, they they kind of do but nothing else that really really matters to but only one I, picture which is know. only half the car as well so it yeah. looks like it's got a very um uh lmp2 um yeah. uh, sort of look on the shark with the, fin, with the yeah. shark fin on the rear so um uh, the, yeah very interesting you know, through all this i just wonder how mclaren feels about it because it is still even in this photo very much on the nose of a mclaren f1 yeah you know, I wonder if they've given the blessing and, and said, yeah, look, you, you do your own thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. Um, and we'll see. I, I'd love to see some more photos. I'd love to see some track footage as well. But, yeah, 3.1 million pounds is very We'll keep impressive. an eye out to see what happens and what they create from yeah. what, what happens from there. Yeah, but look, you know, if I if I had some money, maybe I'd be more happy to put the, this into this next one. <laughs> um, so it's the Hennessy Mammoth six by six, and, and I didn't just call it a mammoth; they they've called it the mammoth. Um, so it's a twelve hundred horsepower, six wheel drive, and half a million bucks. Um, so basically, they've taken a Ram, and you know that TRX that we've been talking about, Joel. Yeah. They took that and just made it bigger. Um, and I only had say, um, yeah, oh, it's just epic. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know why anybody would really need this because you know, outside of just, I don't know. I'm sure someone because you can at some because point of, just because can of, justify it without going to like a, a medium rigid truck. You know? Well, because America, really. Yeah, um, but I'm a fan either way. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. not really much but- we can say. It's it's $500,000. <laughs> um, which, in the grand scheme of things, when we're getting all these crazy vehicles, that's pretty reasonable <laughs> in terms of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's more expensive than the Ghost, Rolls-Royce Ghost. So mm. there you go. That's that's one way to flex. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, they've, they've basically just uh, extended the... Like, and, and we kind of laugh about it, but there's there's a lot of engineering work that goes into making these things work, particularly when you're going from a to a six by six drive configuration as well. Like there's there's so much work that goes into it. Um, so you got to you got to yeah you, know, you got to say like we're thankful that companies like this do it. Um, but yeah, that's I just put that in there. File it under the insane, but we're glad it exists. File. Um, but last bit of news before we sprint off. We've got 10 minutes uh, up our sleeve. They're doing the grid walk right now. <laughs> um, the Now, this is cool. So this is the Volvo P18 Cyan. Um, what's, what's this all about? So basically what Cyan Racing, which is the team that has been the World Touring Car Championships and has been effectively the, the AMG effectively of Volvo, um, the, the team that engineered the first 
uh, title-winning Volvo race car and the yeah. Volvo C30 Polestar concept have taken a classic P1800, which is the one of the older school Volvos, um, yeah. and basically retro-modded it. Um, yeah. They've stuck the engine from one of the race cars um, and have basically stuck and modified it to basically create this awesome lightweight carbon fiber bodied um, two liter turbocharged thing with 420 horsepower because it's got the S60 TC1 race car engine. Um, it's had suspension, five speed Hollinger gearbox, um, live axle um, with independent rear suspension, uh, and have just created this unbelievable kind of one off. Um, tribute car that's been it's effectively a resto mod really um, yeah. and it's so impressive a factory one super yeah. factory so yeah I, I love it a huge fan yeah that's very very cool and um, yeah I couldn't believe when I saw this during the week that that uh, that it was announced so yeah um, it only weighs 990 kilos yeah which you know unless it's a t50 you know <laughs> that's that's perfectly acceptable for a weight yeah exactly um, but it looks brilliant in this in that polestar blue um yeah, yeah. it's it, it's absolutely amazing and it just yeah. it's a work it's a work of art there's a great photo um there of it basically alongside the the mm. the bigger brother of it, if its donation of um that gave it its engine but there's you know it just it, it's just a cool resto mod like it, it's just one of those things that you just go if I had money uh, why didn't I think of this beforehand you know yeah. it, it's just yeah. brilliant in terms of the look of it you know it's got the race style center locking nut wheels it's still mm-hmm. got the traditional looking fuel cap in the in the rear um, you know the the front grille and everything and the lights just all look P1800 um, yeah it's like I love it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I hope they they make more of them really yeah, I, I did. Did they say how much? No, no, no price. It's um, uh, it's one a uh, pricing and individual individual specifications is available for prospective clients. So you can buy one, but you have to ask how much. I think you uh, you can't afford it really. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, true. That is that is very true. Yeah, no performance figures either. It um, it's got uh, it's got you know a horsepower. It runs two point seven bar yeah. boost and seventy seven hundred RPM. Mm. But um, I'd love to know how quick it is. Yeah, uh, I don't think it really matters. That'd be <laughs> great for a track day. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I think um, they're, they're doing the national anthem, so. Uh, I think this is a perfect time uh, to to sign off. We've, we've got through all of our huge amount of um, news this week. If you have anything you want us to talk about, shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, thank you, Joel, at Joel Strick Photo for joining us this week. Thanks, Ash. Lots to get through, but we got through just yeah. before the race. <laughs> That's right. Uh, couldn't time it any better at all. But, um, but look, thank you again for, for tuning in and listening. And um, like I said, feel free to reach out to us if, uh, if you have anything to talk about. You can follow us at Daily Auto Fix. Um, and until then, enjoy the race and have a great week. And uh, we'll see you back here again. Bye for now. 